All right, this is unfamiliar. I don't know if I sound right. I'm not using my microphone. <laughs> I'm not using my <laughs> headphones, although they are identical to my headphones. And I'm not even using my own computer. I have a review <laughs> unit, 15-inch Core i9, the most controversial computer in the world, in front of me. Uh, and I'm not even in my house. I, I'm here with Marco Arment at his uh, bizarre <laughs> summer home in New York. <laughs> And uh, not coincidentally, our guest this week is Marco Arment. Marco, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I love recording shows with somebody in the room, uh, although I can't, I, I can see you, but I do feel, I do feel like the dynamic is always a little better. And and I say that knowing that ninety eight percent of my shows are entirely over Skype. <laughs> You're just throwing the rest of your shows under the bus. Right? I am. <laughs> Here, we're going to tell you why all the other episodes of this show are less less good than this, really. But I have no concerns over audio drift, uh, no <laughs> concerns over Skype dropouts, uh, so it should be should be pretty good. Uh, so I guess that the biggest story I, I haven't done a show in like four weeks, so it's been, <laughs> it's been a long hiatus uh, over the summer. I've been I've been vacationing in various ways. Uh, biggest story clearly to have dropped since last I recorded a show is that Apple has come out with uh, an all new lineup of. Uh, Touch Bar MacBook Pros. Uh, all, every MacBook Pro with a Touch Bar has been updated, and the one MacBook quote Pro without a Touch Bar, the the MacBook Escape, the MacBook Escape, for lack of a better term, is as yet untouched, uh, and the regular MacBooks are untouched. Presumably, uh, updates to those will be coming in the fall. Do I you think they're finally like? There's been these rumors about like you know new MacBook Air replacement or something like that. My theory is that the MacBook Air replacement is just going to be a new configuration of the MacBook Escape. Uh, but do you think they're finally going to give it a different name so we can stop all this nonsense about like this is the Touch Bar MacBook Pro versus the Touch versus the MacBook Pro with two Thunderbolt three ports versus like it's the naming is such a mess. <laughs> can we just finally like hopefully get rid of that this fall? I hope so. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I hope so though. I actually the, there's to me. The naming of the entire MacBook line is – it sounds superficial and, and like, for example, this it is superficial. The whole, like, should we call it iPhone X or iPhone 10? Should they have even called it that because there was – at least as yet, there is no iPhone 9. Does it make it – that's superficial. It doesn't really sow confusion, in my opinion. Uh, I think the MacBook lineup naming – so's confusion i've mentioned this before but it's yeah. madness that they continue to sell the macbook air with the name that implies that it is thinner and lighter when it is way thicker and way heavier than the just plain macbook it makes absolutely no sense and i guess that the logic behind it is they want to drop the name air and they've successfully done that on the ipads because they've they iterate faster so there's no more ipad air there's just plain ipad and then there's ipad pro so the ipad has a perfectly logical naming structure in my opinion just plain ipad it's cheaper has less fewer features ipad pro it's more expensive and has more features like support for the pencil and stuff like that um the Air thing and the just plain MacBook thing. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to change the name of the just plain MacBook, which still makes me. I, that's how I always write it. I write just plain MacBook. <laughs> I know on your show it's the MacBook One. Well, even then, like not enough people recognize that, so I'll usually just say the twelve-inch MacBook. Right. Um, but even that, like that, that was a, a weird name to, to give it. 
know, the name MacBook without anything else, because that suggests that it's the bottom of the line model. And while that's true in performance, that's not true in specs uh, otherwise or in battery or sorry, in uh, in price. Right, right. Like it is not the it, it is far from the cheapest one. The cheapest one is the MacBook Air. And that seemed to be for legacy reasons when the 12 inch MacBook was released in 2015. But that's been it's been a while now that we've still <laughs> it's like it, it would be one thing if they if that if this was just like a problem for like one year or six months, like while they're between cycles. But We've had for three years now this confusion of the MacBook is not the lowest end or cheapest MacBook. The MacBook Pro includes a, some pretty different capabilities between its different models. And the MacBook Air is not the thinnest and lightest one, but it is the lowest end. Like, I don't know. I, I just I, please, Apple, fix this naming scheme this fall with whatever you're doing. Yeah. So here's let's see what German said back in March. Uh, something about a lower priced MacBook. I don't think they're going to call it an air. I don't think I, I'd be very, very surprised if they update the air as we know it. Like, and just, you know, the thing that everybody wants the, oh God, why can't you just put a retina display in the MacBook air and don't change anything else? And I'll just buy that. And I know that there are people who would, that would make happy, or at least they certainly would have within the last two years. I don't know at this point if that still would make people happy, but uh, that's not going to happen. Like I, I would love if they just if their low end computer was still basically uh, the MacBook Air looking thing, but with the Retina screen and with the Thunderbolt port replaced by a single USB three Thunderbolt three port. Like that would be fine, but I, I, they're not going to make it. There's no way they're going to make it. But it's funny. Like it, it is, it is kind of sad that here we are talking about how like you know a lot of people would be very happy if they just made this thing, but Apple won't do that. Apple's not going to do what their customers actually are asking right. for. And in some cases that works, like in some cases, you know, they do something better that, that we actually like better. And that's usually how it plays out. But in this case, I don't like, I, I think what they're actually going to do is just make a, a de-spec'd lower priced MacBook escape and call that the new MacBook air or, or whatever, like make that the replacement for it. Just like take this machine that they, position when it was released they positioned it as this is the replacement for the macbook air but then of course it was too limited and too expensive i think they're just going to try to address that they're not going to make it less limited they're not going to like add ports back to it or anything but i they they will try to make a version of it that is less expensive without sacrificing their massive margins yeah i don't know yeah it, it is it's such a popular product it is clearly uh, if you if you have subscribed to any belief whatsoever that Apple really still is serious about and cares about the Mac Macintosh as a whole, the MacBook lineup from lowest to highest end is entirely it's it's their bread and butter. And as much you know, the iMac Pro, which I have yours right in front of me, uh, it's a great <laughs> computer. Shows their dedication to the niche pro market. Um, you know, they've promised and talked about in advance, which is unprecedented, an all new Mac Pro, which is an even smaller niche, um, you know, supposedly coming a 2019 thing, quote unquote, a 2019 thing. So next December. Right. Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll be early next year. I hope so. Um, uh, and, and they're still popular, right? I mean, we, we, they report how many Macs are sold every quarter. It is it is a completely safe. It's guaranteed to assume that most of them are MacBook have the name MacBook in them somewhere. Um, 
but the lineup is a mess naming wise and spec wise you know like the fact that the most popular one by far has to be the still the macbook air simply because of price and they're selling i i think the last time you were on my show we were talking about the madness that they're selling a non-retina display let alone that a non-retina display in their most popular product it makes some degree of sense in the common sense way just that of course the lowest price one is the one least likely to have a retina display because a retina display is more expensive obviously than whatever you you know the crummy display in the macbook air but it's just preposterous that they're you know here we are in 2018 and it's late july and people are sending you know buying the computers for their kids going to college and surely the most popular one they're sending the kids off to if they're getting a brand new computer is a is a what two or three year old macbook air at least <laughs> i think right. three or four at this point and and you know and it actually it's not that these people are like being you know dumb or cheap the macbook air is still actually pretty compelling if you can just overlook that it's you know that the guts are a little bit old Right. And that it has a non-retina screen. But if right. you can overlook those two things, which a lot of people do, it's still a really compelling computer. It's look, the MacBook Air is awesome. Like when that when that generation, this is the, like this is like the second body style of the MacBook Air came out in 2010. It was um, or 2009. It was amazing. Like remember, like even back then, mm-hmm. it's it felt like you were getting away with something because it was like you can look at all the other MacBooks in the lineup at the time, all the MacBook Pros, and you're like, you know, actually. This MacBook Air gives me like 80% of what I need in a much you know, nicer and more attractive and easier to carry package. And it remained that way from that generation, like, you know, because SSDs basically gave it the performance it needed. And it remained that way really until like two years ago, where the MacBook Air was pretty much like the one most people should get most of the time. And it happened to also be one of the, if not the least expensive model most of that time. So it, it it did kind of feel like we were getting away with something all this time, and maybe now Apple's like correcting that in some way. But I don't know. It's it's the low end of the lineup is still such a mess. Here's I'm going to read a little bit from uh, German's report from Mar- March, which came out before that education event in Chicago. Um, a new cheaper. This is quoting Mark German at Bloomberg. A new cheaper MacBook lack lineup laptop is in the works and likely. Replace the MacBook Air at a price less than one thousand dollars, so, probably nine ninety nine. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. it probably won't be ready in time for next week. The people said <laughs> this so, was in March. Yeah, this was in March. <laughs> well, he was right. It probably wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like I just love. I, <laughs> I love that because, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm not saying that his sources were, uh, they're, you know, like you just said, they're, they're technically, they were right, but I love that his sources were far enough away that they could only say it probably wasn't going to be coming in March. And here we are in July and it still hasn't come out. <laughs> yeah. You know, my secret sources say that the Mac pro is probably not coming out next week either. <laughs> yeah. As, as much as, um, as much as iPhone stuff leaks in advance, and just because of the insane interest in it and the insane um, scale, you know, how many, uh, how many of these things they have to have ready to go on opening weekend, um, you know, and the Mac operates at an entire order of magnitude lower, maybe even more. Um, it, it does seem like Apple is able to keep Mac hardware stuff under wraps from leakers Oh yeah, like remember, like you know. So right now we're we're right after the release of the 2018 MacBook Pros. They came out what about two weeks ago? D- a few days before they came out, there was this big report from Ming Chi Kuo 
about how like Apple's going to refresh basically all the Macs this fall. And on that report, like he didn't mention this at all, right? Even though it was a, it was going to happen literally like three days after he after this report. And he all he said about the Touch Bar models was that they will be updated this fall. That's that he had no other information about it. So clearly, here this was like this this update that was happening like right under his nose, right at that time. And he didn't even know. Like, and he's and he's very well sourced and usually knows about such things. So, like, clearly, like, they're you know the secrecy is way more effective on the Mac side uh, than on the iOS side. Yeah. So you know, I think it's reasonable, even though there's near radio silence on any details of what new MacBooks of various price points might be released this fall. I think it's very reasonable for us as as interested people in the market to to be optimistic that in September or October. Apple will have a lot to show us and say about the entire lineup, including some kind of modern update to their entry level machine. I sure hope so, and I, I think they will. Like, I think what they're showing us—I've said this on ATP before—like it does seem like we're in we're in like an upswing for the Mac. Like we we're in a good time where you know they had you know they're talking about the Mac Pro and the Pro Display coming up soon. I hope those are hope those are awesome, and they they probably will be. The iMac Pro is awesome. Uh, the, the 2018 MacBook Pros, they, I still have a lot of problems with them because it's still, you know, there's still this body generation, the touch bar, all the, all the stuff I don't like, the keyboard I still don't like. But uh, I, I give them credit. They do seem to be moving in the right direction in the last couple of years. Like, I, I think they have course corrected on the Mac. And, and the software side, too, is there's, you know, tons of motion there with things like Marzipan. Like, those are major efforts. And, and those are going to be majorly pushing the platform forward. And I cannot wait for that kind of stuff. And so obviously like they are, and you, know, you look at, you know, on the hardware side, you look at things like the T2 chip and, and how, you know, it's, it, this is like this pretty advanced controller that they have in there that's doing all sorts of stuff that they didn't need to do that. So like, I do think they, they're on the right path now, but we still need to see like, what does that mean on the laptops? We, we still have no idea. Uh, and maybe this fall, like maybe whatever the new cheaper one is, maybe I'm totally wrong. Like my, you know, my theory that I said a few minutes ago is basically that they're going to like half acid. That they're going to like cut cut out some specs from the MacBook Escape as it is now to make a new 999 configuration. Like maybe I don't right. know, give it a 128 gig disk or something. You know, something like basically skimp out as much as possible on everything to get that price down with still a margin that Apple will accept. Right, but I, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe what they're going to do is do what the original MacBook Air did, which is debut a new body style, like without without coming out and saying so. Like maybe what maybe they're actually doing an original design for this new cheap laptop. And maybe that design will be a, a preview of what's to come for the rest of the lineup. Um, yeah. And I always took it as a hint when they re, when they came out with the just plain MacBook, and it was just called just plain MacBook. And it, I forget what the starting price was originally, but I think it was like, like 1600 or something, 15, 14. I think there might've been like a 1400 config, yeah. but it was bad. You, you kind of, <laughs> you very quickly got over 1500 configuring one. I mean, to be fair, that first generation were all bad, right? <laughs> like, it's just, I think that last year it barely became usable. Right. Because that, that original Atom processor was really yeah, and the SSD was slow and everything. Right. Like the, the 2017 model really improved right. a lot. But I always thought that the name was a very strong signal that it would become the new entry-level model. Because of co- it just makes product marketing sense that the one without any modifier, just plain MacBook, would be the entry-level. But it couldn't be when it debuted because they made it so crazy thin and light that they had to use you know expensive uh, components, even though they were slow and 
etc. It's just the only way to make it so insanely thin compared to everything before it. I don't know. That's that's possible, but like I, I think maybe that was their goal. I don't know, but I don't think that's ever going to really be successful. Like if I don't I don't see that product, the twelve inch with the one port. I don't see that being the one that becomes the new entry level mass market thing because it, there are so many trade offs. Like with the when the MacBook Air first came out, it was you know sixteen hundred dollars I think or seventeen hundred for the, for its base, and it was very limited. You know the first one before the nice twenty ten revision. Um, it, you know it and. It, it couldn't be the bottom of the line because people buying the bottom of the line still have needs. They still like they they're buying to hit a price point often, but they're they still have you know practicality needs to worry about. So they with the MacBook Air originally that couldn't serve that purpose even if it were cheaper because it didn't have things like a DVD drive that everyone needed, right? Yeah. And with the with the 12 inch MacBook today. You can you could make an argument that like well it gives up all this stuff it gives up a lot of performance compared to the 15 watt chip that's there in the MacBook Air and the MacBook Escape it gives up all these ports um, you know even if you set aside things like the keyboard that are controversial it gives up so much but I don't see people ever saying you know what I only need one port for my entry level laptop like some people who are you know some people can choose that and say you know for my travel laptop or whatever I'm fine with that but people who are buying the entry level model are the mass market. And they like one of the reasons the MacBook Air keeps selling so well is that compared to the MacBook, it does have a whole bunch more ports and everything, and it is more versatile and everything. Before that, before the MacBook Air became this the role in the lineup, it was that MD101, uh, the uh, the 13 inch non Retina MacBook Pro that still had the DVD drive. They remember they only stopped selling that like what a year or two ago. It was very recent, that like 2012 model yeah. or something like that. And bef- you know before the Air, that was a uh, suspiciously large seller for the exact same reason that it was the it was very inexpensive it was it, it was also inexpensive to to spec up because it had a spinning disc so and, and ram slots so you could like buy third-party stuff or even the stuff from apple you could get a lot of storage for not that much money and it had the optical drive and had all the ports and so people who didn't care about retina who who didn't care about newness and who just wanted something very versatile for like a thousand bucks or less they had that option with the 101 now Optical drives are out of favor enough that people don't need that anymore, so they went to the MacBook Air. But I don't see like ninety percent of your ports going away <laughs> being a thing that's going to be so easily moved into people's minds for that bottom of the line laptop. Yeah, um, yeah. So what do what do we think Apple should do? Like, if you and I had had been secretly recruited to Apple's MacBook development team eighteen months ago, so that we could have a lineup for the fall of 2018 ready to go. I, I kind of, I, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I kind of, we have a I guess in the room, I kind of think we have, we're on a similar page where the default machine should, you know, at, at a nine ninety nine or even ideally if we could get back to eight ninety nine, like they did when they, uh, when they, uh, thank you. When they, when they had the 11 inch air for eight ninety nine for a while, um, and I think the reason they felt like they could do that, because that's a rare thing for any company to do, is to raise the minimum price as significantly. Like it used to be you could walk in and get an 899 MacBook, the 11-inch, and then they did away with it, and the cheapest jumped $100 to 999 And I feel like the reason they could do that was that the 11-inch MacBook Air, even though it was cheaper, was always sort of a, a niche product. Like, yeah, it was so small. It like, was only for people who really... And I had mine for years and truly loved it because it was always a secondary machine for me. And I truly loved the size and portability of it. It's really one of my favorite machines I've ever owned. 
But I think people who, the typical person who's buying a laptop to be their PC, that's it. That's a, this is the, the, the thing that's a real computer for them. Don't want to sacrifice the screen real estate and have a slightly smaller keyboard, et cetera. Yeah, like so, the 13-inch Air was always like right. the mass market one. Right. So I feel like the, the default machine should be bigger than the 12-inch MacBook. should probably have a 13-inch screen. It should have a few more ports, but they're not going to include USB-A ports, even though I f- feel like they should. I mean, we can we should almost do a whole segment on the failure of the USB-C market. Um, I do want on ATP almost every week. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but I think it really shows with people's, as, as the clamor, we're recording this after the, the software update that fixed the, the uh, throttling gate with the core i9 so the people are you I, lucky that you missed that on the show like you didn't have like if you had an episode like last week, week right you would have had to like do, do what we did on atp with like you know look at all these youtube things and reddit things and try to figure out what's going on and try to speculate i mean we, we were wrong about like half of what we said well i skipped it on daring fireball i just didn't i don't even think i linked to it because and i got a lot of people asking you know most of the feedback i got was just what do you think about this and i answered by email to some people um but I just didn't link to it. And then, there, of course, the accusations that I wasn't linking to it because I'm in the bag for Apple and I'm covering <laughs> up this genuine scan- out- outrageous scandal. My thought was, um, we're sort of segueing into it, the specific thing with this, but my thought on that whole thing was there's just not enough evidence yet. It just sounds to me like it's probably a bug and we'll know soon enough whether it's a bug that can be fixed or a genuine serious engineering flaw. And I'll decline to comment until there's more evidence than one YouTube guy using one app, Premiere Pro, which probably, you know, it, it, the nature of which is probably not that optimized for Macs. And evidence that's come out since has shown that to be true. I mean, Adobe makes that, right? So it's not yeah. optimized for anything. Right. <laughs> uh, no, but I, so I think, you know, going back to your question a minute ago, I think like, what would Apple need to do to make like the new MacBook Air replacer, replacement? I, I think... The MacBook Escape can almost be that. It just needs a few changes. And I know, I know we're never getting USB-A back. I'm not even arguing for USB-A anymore. It's, if you can fit one on the side of a laptop, it is really nice for convenience. But I, I know that's a lost battle. So I'm not even, I'm not even saying they should do that. I do argue for the SD card to be included in the higher end models. I don't necessarily think it needs to be in a MacBook Air replacement. But I think what, what it does need, which it almost has, is four ports and a lower price. That's about it. That's all it needs. And, you know, and I know they're probably not going to give me the four ports. There's probably some limitation with Thunderbolt lanes that are on the 15-watt ch- or PCI Express lanes available on the 15-watt on the, uh, CPU line from Intel that it uses. Like, I, it's probably something like that. I still, you know, there's so many problems with USB-C that, like, that this is even a problem. Like, USB-A was never limited by Thunderbolt lane or by PCI Express lanes because they didn't build Thunderbolt into every port because most people don't need that. Right. So like here you are wasting one of your ports on power and wasting another one on like charging your iPhone and you can't have more ports because they need all the bandwidth for, th- for the Thunderbolt 3 links that right. you're not using. Right. <laughs> so that that's a weird engineering trade-off they made to begin with. But uh, but I think that's all it really needs. And, and I think that's plausible. The, the four port thing is a risk. But just making a version of the Escape that has cheaper pricing somehow with, you know, without, you know, somehow with market segmentation that they can do it. I don't know. But. The, the the current laptop line, the, like the new generation, if you exclude like the old models they're still selling, like the Air, the new line is so expensive compared yeah. to the old ones. I it that's a that's a problem for them. I I think in the way their products look, the way they're perceived. I mean, they've always been perceived as being expensive, but I think this is 
getting getting to the point of being egregious and it's getting more and more distant from what people expect to pay for such a thing um and then the low end kind of rotting out here and and being neglected for so long is not helping that at all so they need to make a good low end play and you know we're gonna you're gonna have people who who make like the 200 dollars iphone argument about like oh they don't have to do that they're just serving the market but like a huge part of Mac market share is those like thousand dollar MacBook Airs, and those are getting really long in the tooth. They have yeah. to replace them with something, and it really should be as soon as possible. Yeah, and um, and I think it comes down to naming again. Just to go back to where we started, is the the MacBook Escape should not be called a MacBook Pro, in my opinion, and it it. it it's not. I mean, it is a cut below. And other than the fact that the aluminum frame is exactly the same as the 13-inch MacBook Pros, um, touch bar versus actual physical function keys aside, and it has the same display. Um, but internally, you know, the, it's got a lower, uh, a lesser CPU. It has lesser graphics. It costs less. Um it's not a MacBook Pro. It should be called something else. I, I guess I see why they called it a MacBook Pro because it does look the same and it was introduced alongside them. It's also a great computer. Like yeah. I have one for a little while. Right. I loved that Escape. If the only reason, the only things I hated about it were that I did have keyboard problems with it. I had a bunch of like stuck keys and weird popping and everything. And so I did have keyboard problems with it. And I, the two ports were really annoying on trips. Like when I, when I would travel, I want to like do travel podcasting or charge stuff with my laptop, and only having two ports was pretty limiting. Um, but other than that, I loved that computer. It was great, and that's why I ordered a 13-inch of the new one. Yeah. Um, but I, I ordered the touch bar one because I wanted the ports. But like, it's, I think the reason they called it Pro was, I think, more be, you know, because it visually resembled you know, the other 13-inch Pro just fine. And also, I think, because they wanted to help justify the cost increase. Yeah. Because it really was just a MacBook Air, but they increased the cost so much, I, I felt like they, you know, that was my guess of why they did it. But ultimately, if I was in charge of this product line, of naming this product line. I wouldn't want any responsibility because they would fire me immediately. But if I was in charge of naming this product line, and I I guess I'd be fired from that too, but <laughs> I don't think they would call it the MacBook One or the MacBook Escape. Uh, but I think I would say the MacBook Air brand is too strong to throw away when this generation stops being sold. I think something should always be called the MacBook Air because it's such a good name and it has such brand equity among consumers. So what I would say is rename the the 12 inch macbook macbook air with its next generation and say this is the new macbook air it's the 12 inch macbook rename the macbook escape to simply macbook Hmm. i could see that i mean there is some sense to that especially if they could get a 12 inch macbook down to 999 which i kind of think it might be their plan well that isn't even what i'm arguing i'm saying bring the bring the escape bring the 13 inch down down to that level call it the macbook right and because right now you, you have this conflation of the lowest end product is also the smallest, thinnest, and lightest. Right. But that requires such trade-offs that a lot of the low-end buyers aren't willing to make right. that it sh- that shouldn't be the lowest end product. Right. It should be – the low-end product should be to hit a price point, not to hit a size. Right. And so that's why the, the Escape should be the low-end product. It should be called the MacBook. Right. The MacBook Air should be the little 12-inch super thin one. Right. And then the MacBook Pro is the higher-priced, higher-powered one. And the 13-inch MacBook Escape – well, all the 13-inch Mac, current MacBook Pros are, and they Apple themselves emphasized this when they introduced them, um, 
only like like two sheets of paper heavier than a MacBook Air. Like, yeah, it's about the same. It, it's they are technically a, an ounce hot heavier or something like that. But that, I think it's grams. It's like it's so right, it's like, so small. Right, like you could probably even it up just by you know getting some uh, sweat and some crumbs on your MacBook Air, and then they'd be the same. You know, the one where the keyboard would still work. With yeah, the just yeah, keep the crumbs away from the new one. Um. Yeah. I, well, let's we'll keep going on this. Let me take a break and thank our first sponsor. This is gonna be good. I think I think the sponsors it's it's coincidence sort of, but it's it's kind of fun. There's uh, every single one of them is actually in use today. Uh, our first one is Trace Pontas Coffee. I'm drinking it right now. Marco can vouch for it. Now I'm, this is in the Arment household. There is Trace Pontas Coffee, um, and I didn't order it because you were coming. I ordered it. Be, like long before I knew you were going to be here, I ordered it by my own volition. They aren't a sponsor of my show. Right. I ordered it only because they were a sponsor of this show. And we, you know, I've been here a few days, and we have been drinking some of Marco's own <laughs> Marco roasted coffee, mm-hmm. and but it was all gone. <laughs> and we, the only other coffee in the house, uh, turns I, out the Grubers drink a lot of coffee. Right? No, <laughs> one one of the Grubers drinks a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> I am drinking it right now. It comes from a single family farm in Tres Pontas, uh, in the town of Tres Pontas in Brazil, hence the name Tres Pontas. They only have one variety of beans, and what the, it's very simple. They have four roasts, light, medium, uh, dark, and then French roast. What are we drinking? I don't even know. I'm guessing light. No, it's either, I think it's medium. It's either uh, medium or like the slightly dark one. Because hmm. that's usually, I, I like my coffee a little dark, but not too dark. So it, it w- I would have gotten one of those two. Hmm. I prefer the medium, I think, at home. And because they've sent me all of them. And I'm, I'm just not a French roast person. Uh, I, I find the French roast to be terrible. But people who like French roast might like it because <laughs> Spoiler, it's. Spoiler, every French roast is terrible. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> that's, that's my opinion as yeah, I'm well. I'm pretty sure this is the medium. Um, but it's kind of a neat thing where you don't have to select the beans. You just select the roast style, which in a lot of cases in my opinion is really the biggest difference if you're starting with if you're starting with good beans which is uh, you know half the battle but then you know just get it roasted the way you like it that's oh, your yeah. choice people always t- people always ask me like you know where do you get good beans and like what it really comes down to is not like what brand name is on them or anything what it really comes down to is how well is it roasted and they give you the option for that and how freshly is it roasted and they solve that problem as well. Right. Their coffee is very fresh. That is their main thing. They ship all the stuff out themselves. Marco can vouch for this. I say it every time uh, Trace Ponta sponsors the show. Coffee is a perishable item. This is why it is good to buy whole beans. This is why it's good to get a nice uh, grinder. Um, and this is why it is great to get something like a coffee subscription uh, which Trace Pontas offers to just keep fresh beans coming to you at a regular basis. Now, it's not like, uh, I don't know, like an avocado or something like that where it can quickly go bad. It's not that perishable, but you don't want stuff that's been sitting around on shelves for weeks and weeks or even months like you might get in a supermarket. So here's what you can do to get Trace Pontas. You can go to their website, tracepontas.com, uh, and... Uh, just order a bag or a couple of bags or something like that to give it a shot. You can also go to Amazon and search for it and you can get it there if it's more convenient because then you can do the old one click thing. And when you buy Trace Pontas coffee on Amazon, they're just using Amazon as a storefront. They still fulfill it themselves. It's not coming out of an Amazon warehouse somewhere where it's been sitting on the shelves. Trace Pontas still fulfills it. They just go through Amazon for the convenience of it. Uh, and the other thing they have is you can get a coffee subscription and you get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks 
your choice when you sign up for the subscription, and you save 10% when you get a subscription compared to the regular price of the coffee. But listeners of the talk show get an extra 10% off by using the code the talk show at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. So you save a total of 20% off every bag with that code. Uh, I hope I used your code. <laughs> I don't know. Enter the code at checkout. That's where you do it if you're looking for it. And again, their website is uh, tracepontas.com. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com. Um, picking up where we dropped off. So I think that Apple has fallen too in love with the name MacBook Pro to obsess on naming. Um, and I think it's exemplified with the iMac Pro. Like, what is the difference between a 5K 27-inch regular iMac and the iMac Pro? Well, there's the, a lot. there's the cosmetic difference where it's, it's space gray, which also, of course, makes it run a little faster. Uh, and you get the fat, you know, you get the, the black mouse and the black keyboard. Yeah. Maybe some, some racing stripes right. might make it a little, even like 10% faster. But at a, you know, joking aside, and you, but it is the same display. But the, so the, the regular iMac has a great display that is great for totally professional uses, graphic designers, all sorts of people or photographers and stuff like that. All the real difference, the reason it's so much more expensive than a regular iMac has to do with technical details that are genuinely professional components. You know, Xeon processors versus whatever the, you know, retail, I don't even know what they're I-9s called. and I-7s. Well, right. <laughs> whatever they are, who cares? Yeah. Um, and even that's, that, I mean, even that's like about 40% is just Intel marketing BS. Right. Uh, the iMac Pro, I've, I've already forgotten, but I'm pretty sure it uses the different kind of RAM. Yep, ECC. ECC RAM. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff like that that truly are pro components. Uh, and all sorts of other industries have similar type distinctions. Like one I'm vaguely familiar with as as a amateur photo enthusiast is like when you buy... Uh, get into the Canon ecosystem of cameras and they have their L series of lenses. I don't even know what L stands for. Do you know? I don't, I have no idea. All I know is that it means expensive, right. red ring and good. Right. Well, and white, some, if they're not entirely black, the L series often has like a white part to it there. You know, if you know what to look yeah, for, yeah, if, the telephotos are all white, right? The like telephotos, the, the big long white. telephotos on sticks that you see at sporting games right. are all very intentionally right. white with a red ring on the outside. Right. And if you're just looking, you know, a typical punter, as they would say in the UK, uh, you know, just looking for a nice camera and you're willing to spend up to like $2,000 on the whole kit, you're not looking at L series lenses, you know, they're for pros They're And there's just no, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it isn't just about price. It's about like, they add features that a lot of consumers wouldn't care about that pros really need. Right. Well, and they also add, add downsides that amateurs would be annoyed by. So right, like they're big and heavy. So they're expensive. Everybody always says, so fam- famously, everybody says, if you want to get serious about photography and you have an inter- interchangeable lens camera, you got to get a 50 millimeter or equivalent if you're using different sensors. But get, if you're talking in 35 millimeter sensor size, get a 50 millimeter fixed lens, uh, and stick that on your camera for a few months and don't even take it off and just learn to shoot with that one lens. So, and it, you know, the quote unquote nifty 50 is like, uh, like a hundred 
hundred dollars. You get mm-hmm. and it's a, and it's a way better lens, you know, optically because a fifty millimeter fixed lens. Anyway, there's also a like three or four hundred dollar fifty millimeter lens, which is just made out. It's less plastic. It's it's sturdier. It's it's better, but it's not that heavy. And then there's the L series one, which I bought because I'm an idiot. Uh, because it goes all the way down to f one point two so it 's it, you know even more, even better in low light and it weighs like six times more oh, it yeah. is a very very heavy piece of glass uh you you know it it 's a pro level fifty millimeter lens, but you pay a price that that a typical consumer uh, wouldn't and a photographer of my abilities i'm i'm not really <laughs> capturing better images with that lens than i would be with the 400 dollars 50 millimeter lens that's a lot lighter i was just an idiot yeah and and, and yeah we have we have the that 1.2 l as well tiff bought it because you bought it thanks a lot <laughs> well i got it because dr wave uh <laughs> we can all blame dr wave Wait thanks that. a lot <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and we also before that we had the 1.4 and the you know the, which was the like three hundred dollar one, and it was totally fine. And in yeah. fact, in some ways, the pro one was worse. Yep. In some like because it not only is it bigger, heavier, and like four times the price, but it also I think focused a little bit more slowly. Like it was because there was like so much more glass to move. <laughs> like everything about it, like it was it was worse in some pretty key ways. But the reason why pros would want that is because it was optically noticeably better. It was. It could go down to 1.2 if you actually needed that. Although almost nobody does. I, it was probably at least lightly weather sealed, which is another, another thing that, like you know, the consumer lenses don't. You don't. They, they hardly ever are. Um, and it, you know, most people don't need that. But if you're like you know shooting a sports game, like, you wouldn't be using a 50 millimeter prime. But assuming you were, like you know, a lot of pro contexts need you know weather sealing and well, more rugged abilities, the, different warranties, stuff like that. The big one on weather sealing for for pros are pros who go out in the field where there's yeah. dirt, sand and things like that and the weather sealing keeps stuff like that out when you cannot you're on assignment from National Geographic and you're in the middle of uh desert in Africa, you you can't get your lens fixed until you're gone and it's, you know, you can't just like oh zip over to the camera shop and get a replacement. You need you need that reliability. Yeah. All the more reason that that example is a wonderful reason why this MacBook Pro keyboard was so so problematic. I shouldn't down. I shouldn't speak so poorly of that fifty millimeter lens because I should. I, what I should do is sell it. And here I am telling the people who are most likely to buy it, the listeners of my show, that I kind of think it's a waste of money. Because <laughs> the other reason I regret it in hindsight is that the sensitivity of the ISO sensitivity of sent digital sensors got had continues to get so much better so much faster that even if in just like 18 months after i bought that lens like five or six years ago i could get better low light pictures with the the lighter weight camera just by getting a new camera (laughs) (laughs) yeah like like i i haven't shot anything below f 2.8 in years well even that usually i'm usually i'm up up around like four or 5.6 because i'm much more likely to miss the focus slightly Mm -hmm. Than I am to to need that the you know like the higher speeds and so like for me right. it's much more important to set the aperture a little bit narrower to increase the chances that my subject will be in focus. Right. Anyway, to get back to MacBook Pros, <laughs> MacBook Pros are being used by people in totally like the the iMac of the MacBook lineup are the lower end thirteen inch MacBook Pros. Right, they're the standard, just like a really nice Retina display, fast MacBook computer. But they're called MacBook Pros, and I, I kind of feel that's boxed Apple into a corner. Like, and 
go, to go to this specific machine that I'm touching right now, the Core i9 highest end 15 inch MacBook Pro. Um, there is no real, there's no iMac Pro of the MacBook lineup anymore. There is no big jump like the way, you know, in technical ways, the ways that the iMac Pro is truly re- remarkable, remarkably capable compared to a, a high end regular iMac. There is no jump like that in the MacBook Pro lineup. Well, maybe there kind of is. So it's, there is no real equivalent to the iMac Pro in things like, you know, like the Xeon CPU, like using like, you know, like a workstation grade processor and everything. They, yeah, there is none of that. But in, in, like in some ways, you could argue that the 13 inch and 15 inch are much more like the 5K iMac than the iMac Pro in the sense that like they use high end, but mostly still consumer parts. But I wonder if things, you know, obviously the touch bar, if Apple's keeping it around, honestly, I still hope they don't. But if they are keeping it around, that is probably going to be maintained as as a pro feature, although I honestly think it makes no sense as one. Um, but what about things like the T2, right? Because the T2, they introduced it in the iMac Pro. Now it's in the 13 and 15 inch touch bar with this year. Maybe that doesn't go down the line. Hmm. Like maybe the T2 is only like, you know, it has that it has that faster disk controller. It has more advanced encryption and security. Things like FileVault are like quote free now. So what if the T2 is the segmentation since like the Xeon can't be anymore? Um, but you know they still, if you're going to draw that distinction, I think the place you draw it right now is clear. The place you draw it right now is Touch Bar and above is Pro and Escape and MacBook are not, hmm. which is just all the more reason why I think renaming the MacBook Escape to right. be Mac to right. MacBook, <laughs> right. like that that makes so much more sense than what they're doing now because right now by having Almost all of the laptops that are that are recent models be named MacBook Pro. It's it's like you know it's like what like what would anger Merlin would be like if all the items in a to do list were marked high priority. Like that's kind of how it is. It's like <laughs> these are all the best MacBooks. Like well no they're obviously not. Like the, that's not how that works. You have to you have to draw that line somewhere. And just saying that one like the bottom end one you have this twelve inch one just saying that is not Pro makes no sense at all. Right. I, you know, it, the thing that to get into the specifics of this model, the thing that still has people uh, has what is it, bees in their bonnet, is is this idea that the the Core i nine in this machine is not even post bug fix is not running is not maintaining its highest base level of performance as long as it theoretically could, and as long as the same processor does in certain PC laptops that are typically described as gaming laptops because they're like five or six pounds and very thick because they have it significant just cooling systems. It's all about cooling and to get, to have a cooling system that can let it run at, at clock speeds that it's capable of. It is just impossible to, in today's world to do it in this form factor. So in theory, I, what some people obviously are dying for Apple to do, and I don't think they're going to do is make a thicker, 15 inch or go back to 17 inch or something like that to make a big, bigger, heavier system that can just, all I want is it for it to run as fast as it can. Yeah. And I, back like when this controversy was erupting last week, I I was, I was more perturbed than I am now about the fact that it wasn't maintaining the base clock. Now I know more about how this stuff works than I knew last week. And, and, you know, now I know things like how Intel, like modern Intel CPUs in the high end laptops like this, almost never can maintain their base clock for long periods of time. 
like almost all of them, even last year's models, like ever since KB Lake and now Coffee Lake, like these processors are, are, you know, because of Intel's problems moving away from 14 nanometer, these processors are cramming way more transistors and way higher clock speeds into this old manufacturing technology than what it was ever intended for and what these laptops were intended for. So Intel is really pushing the boundaries to try to get like better performing chips out every year when they can't move forward on their process yet that the laptops are having to you know deal with higher and higher thermals. And so part of part of my like easing on my anger on this was just learning you know that like yeah this is actually not new that many of the laptops recently can't maintain max you know base clock under parallel workloads for more than a half hour or something like that but also i've learned that the pc world is having the exact same struggles that like it isn't and this doesn't necessarily make it okay but it is nice to know like it isn't just apple messing up here that other pc laptops that are considered like thin and light that have these processes in them are actually in worse shape. Usually that usually that either they cool it worse or they're cooling these same chips at to, to roughly the same performance level, but with more noise. And so the only thing that Apple is not competing well against here is what you mentioned, basically the gaming laptops, which are really like, they look ridiculous. I mean, I've never even seen one in real life, but I've seen like the pictures of like, they they're basically like, an inch thick on the bottom and they have these giant vents on all the sides and they're apparently very loud because of course they'd ha- you know to fit it like a big okay. fan they have to be very loud and so like <laughs> that's something that like what is the, what is, what aspect of that description is the most offensive to apple and <laughs> right. johnny i don't know if johnny ive is a is a noise nut but i he probably is well that's one thing i don't know if i can say about him we certainly know what his aesthetic tape tastes are <laughs> and thicker heavier big grill type vents <laughs> yeah like apple's been doing very well with the, with uh, for years on keeping their stuff quiet like right. they, they've been great on fan noise and and they've been getting better and better at it and so like that's why i'm one of the reasons i'm so impressed by the, the imac pro is that it's it is silent with everything I throw at it. The only, I've, I've only heard of people saying if you max out the CPU and the GPU, then you can hear the fan. I've never done that. <laughs> like I just max out the CPU and the GPU sets so mostly idle. So like you can do whatever you want to the CPU and the iMac Pro and you won't hear it. It's fantastic. And so like, yeah, like those giant gaming laptops, like that's not a product Apple's ever going to make. Right. Even if the market demands it, they they will never be able to swallow their Appleness and make that. <laughs> Right. Like just like can't, they they would not do that. Right. So, I don't know if Johnny Ive in particular is a noise that I suspect he is, but I know that Apple institutionally is, and that's part of the you know, one of the most fun things I've done in recent years was the behind the scenes tour of their audio testing lab, uh, either right before or right after the HomePod uh, came out. I think right before, but you know, you guys remember it was earlier this year, like March, I think maybe February. Um, where a bunch of us in the media were invited to Apple and they gave us this tour of an entire building on, on, you know, right across the street from the old infinite loop where all they did, all they do is test. Uh, I mean, they had all new rooms just for the home pod. They amazing new rooms that they built specifically and only for home pod, but the whole room, the whole team started as a place where they took, uh, all of their products. They even tested like the the noise, the ambient noise that an iPod made back when the iPods made noise because they had hard drives. You know these little tiny microwave size anechoic chambers where they'd put an iPod and have it play and test. You know to make it quiet. So <laughs> the idea that they're going to make something that no matter you know fan noise aside, it'll run a Core i nine as fast as theoretically possible. That's never going to happen. 
Yeah, basically, I think like what I've one of the conclusions I've come to with this whole i nine throttling thing is that laptops, if you want a very high performance laptop, it's it's a bigger compromise than it's ever been because yeah. you just you can't like in in what people want in laptops, which is they want them to be as portable as possible. They want them to be reasonably lightweight. They don't want them to be super thick and covered in vents unless they're gamers. But you know that that market is well served elsewhere. So in what people want in a laptop is completely at odds with what a high performance system needs in terms of thermals, battery power, and uh, and and noise. And so the 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 path to happiness in a laptop is either to go low lower spec. I think like make it not need to be so powerful and go with something like an eGPU if those are good. Although honestly, I can't vouch for that yet because I have it's too early to know whether those are actually good or whether there's annoyances or big limitations or bugs or whatever else. So who knows? But hopefully that'll be that'll pan out well. Or if you if you need all that power, really consider a desktop. <laughs> you know, because right. desktops are so good now. Like it and I feel like trying to like like the, the machine you have in front of you here, this like maxed out I9 15 inch has so many crazy compromises and limitations if you actually need to use all the power it has it, it's not fun like the the only advantage it has is you can take it anywhere and you can you can have you can just have one computer and you can bring it on a plane and have all that power with you like and a lot of people need that and that's why they buy these things but to me the path to happiness in a laptop is is closer to the middle of the lineup yeah tell your boss you need to upgrade to first class because you you need to work on your 15 inch <laughs> macbook pro while you're on the plane uh, it's a requires a business requirement, so. and I hope you have seat power. Right? <laughs> uh, I don't. Yeah, I guess if you're really if you need the power, yeah, you. you oh yeah, ba- I mean, battery life on these, like one, you know, there was that controversy when they came out with Consumer Reports and everything, but like battery life on the modern laptops, like what we have, like we have laptops getting thinner and lighter, and the batteries are shrinking because if you're just sitting around like typing email or browsing the web, they're getting more efficient than ever. But if you're actually pushing that power, if you're actually using that processor, using the GPU, if you're like pushing it, they have worse battery life than ever <laughs> because like they're designed for this like low idle envelope. And once you push it, once you're doing something with it, you're really having a problem with that battery if you're on a long on a long flight with no power. Yeah. Although I will say in terms of battery life, this machine in front of me, I've been running on battery power ever since we came into Marco's office to record the show. And it the battery meter still says 100%. Now I'm not pushing the limits of this. The show is being recorded into uh, audio hijack over on Marco's iMac Pro. I'm real but I've got my, you know, I've got <laughs> all my regular apps running: uh, Mail, Safari, lots of tabs. Every, you know, and the display is on and fairly bright, uh, and it still says 100. percent So, because yeah, like what you're doing there is like typical, like you know, a light productivity workload, right. web browsing, email, stuff like that, and you're barely interacting with it at all. Like so, right. that's even lighter. So like it's optimized for that, and the, and the chips now are so good at power management when they're when they're being lowly, you know, lowly utilized. I guess minimally yeah. utilized. Like then they're great at that, and they, it can it could probably last 15 hours like that. Yeah, but if you try to like you know export something from Final Cut, we'll have a very different story. Yeah, I've and I you know it's funny we were talking about this off off the show earlier, but in the days that I've been testing this machine here and seeing how the battery performs, I've rethought an assumption that I came up with a few years ago. So the last time I personally bought a MacBook was a, a, my mid 2014 13 inch MacBook Pro, and I just maxed out everything. I got the most RAM I could get, 16 gigabytes. Sounds t- terrible today. Um, 
That's I got, still pretty good. I got the fastest processor they sold at the time, and you know the I think the max SSD, which was one terabyte. Um, and it was all money well spent because here I am four years later, still using it, still not really thinking about replacing it. You know, like that's my, my style of Mac, you know, I buy a new iPhone every year, but my style of buying a Mac is to get one only when I really feel like I need it and then max it out and hopefully use it for many years. Cause I just hate configuring a new machine just so. Um, and I love having one, like once I'm past like that year, 18 month mark where I feel like any kind of lemon component might blow, I feel like it's, this thing is reliable, you know, and my MacBook, my, my 2014 MacBook Pro I've been raving about has never needed service for anything. Not, not one case of anything has anything ever gone wrong in it. So I love that. Um, but I was thinking when I bought it and battery life has been good. It's good enough that I'm still happy with it, but I never really pressed the CPU. And my thought was, I don't know why I maxed out the CPU. I don't do anything CPU intensive or else I do it so seldom that it's not worth buying and getting I, what I presume to be worse battery life because I'm running a faster CPU than I need. Whereas the baseline CPU, like I need the SSD versus the hard drive. I need the extra RAM because I'm such an idiot and keep dozens and dozens of Safari tabs open at all times. Um, but I don't need CPU. But I think you're right looking at this, that even with this Core i9, which in theory as a CPU could burn battery faster than any other CPU in the lineup just because it's got extra cores. It, you know, that's the nature of the fastest CPU. But here, when I'm doing my typical workload, here I am literally... 55 minutes into running on battery and the battery meter still says a hundred percent still hasn't <laughs> dropped to 99. So I think you're right. You know, that they're the power management when they don't need it is, is crazy. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry that you're burning extra power. Like when you're doing stuff like this is I, I think the power management is good enough that like, you don't have to worry that if you buy the high end CPU, that your idle power will be much worse because it right. won't be. But I, I think, you know, what, what we've seen a lot in, in the recent generations is we're limited so much by thermals that the difference between whatever comes in the base model of a given size laptop and whatever the highest CPU is, is not as big of a performance difference as you might think. Like usually it's within maybe 10, 15% from the base model to the highest end CPU. Even if the advertised clock speed might be big, like it might say, it might go from like 2.2 to 2.9. And so you'd think that would be a much bigger than 15% improvement. But in fact, you know, because of turbo boost and, you know, everything's so complicated now, Ultimately, if you're buying a new laptop, if you are concerned about bang for your buck, I would say get the most storage you can first, and then RAM is second priority, and only upgrade the CPU if it's if you really are you know are okay losing that money because it's it matters so little. Most of the laptops right. I've I've had for the last decade, right. I've just had the base model CPU, and it's been totally fine. I totally agree with that. And one thing that I probably would have said differently five or six years ago is five or six years ago I probably would have said RAM first. Right. storage second but the one of the differences between ssd and spinning disks is that if you your machine does need to swap you know which is when it starts writing stuff in memory to disk i yeah i say disk but you know yeah um with a hard drive it just was it was just awful it was just it's <laughs> yeah. just it, it, as soon as you went to swap you could, i could tell right away oh, i would yeah. just be like oh i need to quit safari and relaunch it because i could tell it swap uh, whereas with SSD, of course, SSD is not as fast as RAM, but it is fast enough that it's, you know, I, I think you're right. Prioritize SSD storage first, then RAM. 
And also, I, I think the, the calculus changed also because back, you know, 10 years ago, if your hard drive was filled up, you could upgrade it, you know, and, and <laughs> right. for not that much money. Like, you know, you could, and today you can't upgrade any of these right. specs anymore. So like, like to me, and, and I've, because I've, I've occasionally been impatient and just walked to, walked to an Apple store and bought the base model. Right. Uh, then I've often had that 256 gig SSD right. and man, it's like that killed the laptop for me. Like over time, what was a limiting factor that made me the most unhappy with it or made me have to jump through the most ho- hoops or have the most limitations was disk space. And you can never upgrade. Right. <laughs> so that, I, I kind of learned that lesson over two different laptops that I got that way and realized, okay, I'm now getting the 512 at least with, <laughs> with whatever I do. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take another break here and thank our next sponsor. And our next sponsor is Mac. Weldon. Mac Weldon's mission is simple to make sure all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping from them is easy and convenient. What kind of basics are we talking about? We're talking about stuff like underwear, socks, t-shirts. Uh, they founded Mac Weldon because they wanted more out of the basics and they always questioned how something so essential, essential could be such a pain in the ass to buy. The frustration was re- real and their eureka moment happened in an department store aisle full of brands that dominated their top drawer. You know, the, the big name ones, the ones that advertise on TV. Um, surrounded by a mind-numbing assortment of underwear and socks, they realized that consistent fit and quality were really a game of roulette. You could buy a pack of t-shirts and like one of them, like the collar starts fraying like two times after you wore it. Uh, so they took matters into their own hands and they started from scratch and engineered even their own fabric. Mac Weldon stuff is not like white label stuff that they buy and just stick a Mac label label in. Um, a Mac Weldon label in. Um, they, they even engineered their own fabric. Uh, I've been wearing their stuff for years. I'm actually wearing a pair of Mac Weldon underwear right now, literally, as, as I record. Me too. And I got one of their shirts on. Uh, I do not have one of their shirts on, but I am just wearing a novelty t-shirt. So it's, it's, I don't have an under. <laughs> if I had an undershirt on, it would be one of theirs. And I love, I don't like V-neck t-shirts, but I love V-neck undershirts because then you don't see the shirt when you unbutton uh, the top button. So I have an entire drawer full of white Mac Weldon V-neck t-shirts. I bought enough so that I would never have to worry that I, I don't have one on uh, or don't have one ready to go. Um, really great stuff. I have a ton of their socks. I, I don't even know if I could count how many of their socks I have. And I know it sounds stupid. I, I There are just things that I've gone through life and I just never thought about. And I, I spent <laughs> decades of my life never thinking about socks. But I, it's crazy because every single thing about – every single thing I own, I always want something that I think is excellent. Like I like nice watches. I like – I care about what brand hat I wear. I, you know, last time I bought a car, I spent an inordinate amount of time researching it. Well, why did I not think about socks? Having nice socks <laughs> is so much more comfortable than having ratty old socks that are like worn out. And, and it, I, I don't know why I was like 40 something before I began caring about socks. It's one uh, of life's great pleasures to have like really good socks and underwear. <laughs> It is amazing. And, uh, you know, I spend, you know, large parts of my life typically not even leaving my house and I just walk around wearing socks. It's, it's the thing that's on my foot more than anything else in the world. Why not? It's really great stuff and it really is easy to buy. Um, so I think it's great products. Literally, they're being worn right now. I didn't even know Marco was wearing them. I didn't run this by him beforehand, but there you go. It's literally, it's all I, like the underwear is all I wear anymore, period. 
and the shirts, I'm probably wearing one of their t-shirts in the summertime, nearly a hundred percent of the time. And in the wintertime, maybe half the time. All right. If I could only keep one of their products, because there's a lot of places to buy socks. I even know their socks are nice. But to me, the t- the undershirts are the best. I, if I could only keep one, if you said you have to get rid of everything, it would be the V-neck white undershirts, which are so comfortable. And I, I realize this now as I think about it. I haven't ordered them in quite a while. So the ones I have, and they all look brand new. They hold up. Yeah. They're, yeah. So I'm thinking about that right now. I can't remember the last time I bought new stuff there. I should actually go to their website and see if they have anything new. But the white V-neck undershirts, they hold up tremendously. They Mine all look brand new. They hold their shape. Uh, really terrific stuff. So that's my very favorite product. Here's what you got to do. You can get 20% off your next order with the code TALKSHOW. No the, just TALKSHOW at uh, the MacWeldon.com website. So there you go, MacWeldon.com. At checkout, the code is TALKSHOW, and you save 20% off your first order. I would use that code. I would load up if you need T-shirts and socks. Just load up. Trust me. Get a bunch. Save 20% on your first order. You'll thank me later. My thanks to uh, Mac Weldon. Uh, Let's get into specifics about this machine. I can't really do a full review. I think I've had it... I forget when I got this. Uh, I think Friday. So I probably, this is probably my seventh day of using this machine. I did something new with this machine that I haven't done before out of what I think is an irrational fear. But for all of my years of testing MacBooks and stuff, I never used Migration Assistant (laughs) to move stuff from an old machine. Nope. Because... How do you do it? Do you you set up new every time? Yeah, I have like this whole checklist in an Apple. So I have an Apple note with what to do with a new Mac. And you get the new Mac and I'd set it up factory fresh and I'd sign in to iCloud. And so once I'm signed into iCloud and I go through the, you know, uh, do you want to send... developer information, all the things you got to do. And, you know, you want to turn on Siri, you want to set up touch ID, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then it spins for a little bit and then boom, you're at a default desktop right away because you're signed into iCloud, your notes start filing in. And then I would go to Apple notes, find that note and start going through the list of things to install uh, side by side. And, you know, I think that's partly (laughs) explains why I hate getting a new Mac, because it's a lot of work. (laughs) So this time I was like, well, I'm going, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to be using, I'm, you know, going to Marco's uh, for a couple of days next week, but I don't have a lot of time, you know. So why don't I try Migration Assistant? And if I don't like it, I can wipe it clean. So I tried Migration Assistant. And I have to say, I'm pretty dumb for not having used it before. It's kind of amazing (laughs) how much stuff moved over. Um, not everything. One thing that I noticed, or at least for me, I don't know if this is by design or not, but nothing that's a login item moved over. Like when it was done, it took like, and I just did it over Wi-Fi at home, and it took about four hours uh, with the two machines side by side. Uh, and when it was done and I logged in, it this looks like uh, almost almost identical to my thirteen, my personal 13-inch MacBook Pro just on a 15-inch display. And almost all of my apps moved over. Um at least one of them, when I first, Fantastical, for some reason, when it went to launch, said this app is damaged. Move it to the trash and re-download from the App Store, which I did, and then it, you know, it worked. Um, 
I don't know what happened there. The only thing I noticed was that nothing that was a login item, the things that I have that launch automatically when I log in, none of them came over. I don't know if that's a security, I don't know if that's a bug or if it's like a security thing for, or something. Could it be like a cruft reducer? Right. Yeah, uh, like over time that those things get all crazy. One of the things that moved over that I'm blown away by is a bunch of uh, Perl modules that I have installed, non-standard Perl modules from the CPAN archive. Uh, I couldn't believe that they moved over. I've got some services that do things automatically, and some of them I know re- rely upon modules you have to download. Uh, and I don't do the thing, like Syracuse, if he's listening uh, to this episode, is going to cringe. I don't do the thing that people, rec- Perl experts recommend, which is leave system Perl as it is and use Homebrew or something to install your own personal version, a second version of Perl, or any other open source scripting language that you use. Install your own and any kind of custom stuff you want to set up, do it there and leave system Perl alone. I don't do that. I just install CPAN levels in the system. But maybe, I, I don't even remember, um, maybe when I set up my, my, my personal MacBook years ago, I did the thing where when I install CPAN modules at the terminal, they are still being put somewhere in a dot directory in my home folder. And so that migration assistant, when it moved over my whole home folder, it included all those weird Unixy dot whatever in quote unquote invisible directories. Yeah, I don't maybe. Know. I mean, it, like, cause I don't think it moves over things that are in like user local or anything like that, but right. But well, I will say like, I have had really good luck with, with migration assistant before. Like, the only thing is, like, if you try to do it over Wi-Fi or over the network, it's usually terrible. But if you can find a way to do it over a cable in some way, like, you know, like a, if you must, wire Ethernet. But even better than that is Thunderbolt to, to you know, target disk mode. Uh, if you can do that, it's usually pretty reasonable, you know, time-wise. It usually finishes without problems. It's pretty good. I, I've, it, it, I, I've had very few failures. It did move over user local bin. I, That's I, interesting because I have not installed Homebrew on this machine, and I just typed "which brew" and it says "user local bin brew." <laughs> so it did. It did oh. move over. That is amazing. That, so yeah. So maybe maybe it moves over user local, but just not right. user. You know, right. so that way like. Right. That that's maybe that's why you're supposed to use your use your local yeah. on a Mac for stuff like that. I, so I don't know if this is a recent thing. I don't know if I've been missing out on this for years. I don't know if there, but whoever inside Apple is responsible for migration assistant uh, moving over so much of this stuff. Uh, I thank you sincerely because I really spent almost no time whatsoever configuring this machine before leaving for this trip. And it's done everything I've needed to. I brought my personal MacBook Pro as a backup just in case I got here and I needed it for some reason and I haven't needed it for anything. It's really remarkable. So anybody else out there with my same irrational fear that migration assistant is going to be, leave me with more work to do than doing it all by hand, give it a try next time. I mean, the worst that happens is you just wipe it and start over, but I, I was blown away. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes from like, I mean, because I've used migration assistant for years and I've only, I've only done a very small number of clean installs on my Mac ever. Like it's probably like less than four in the you know twelve years or fourteen years I've been using Macs full time, um, and so it like almost always I'm using Migration Assistant to move stuff, and it's it's great. I, I think the, a lot of that fear comes from Windows switchers like me because mm-hmm. Windows always had like you know upgrade install versus clean install, and the upgrades and migrations for Windows were at least back when I was using Windows horrible like incredibly unreliable it was almost always a bad idea to do anything but a clean install 
Yeah, but Windows even had the, or still has, I don't even know, but had the reputation that even if you're not moving to a new machine, your existing installation is going to dissolve over time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, re, I re, like, as like, just part of, like, a thing that computer geeks had to do and right. probably still do, like, I had to reformat and start my Windows installation right. clean, I think, about every year or so. Right. So why would you move an installation to a new machine when you're going to have to reinstall on your regular machine anyway? Exactly. It was, it's, it was like recreation. Like, you know, you defrag your disk, and then every once a year you re, re, reformat and reinstall Windows well, for fun. I don't have any experience with Windows. I mean, I've used Windows... At, uh, seriously over a, well over a decade ago now so it's ancient but even back then i never was a regular windows user never owned a windows machine i just think i think it's based on the fact that maybe even in going back to the classic mac os era the migration assistant didn't didn't work well or didn't wasn't good enough for me i i don't think it's completely without some experience trying Apple's, okay, you have a new Mac, let's copy stuff from your old Mac. I don't know if they always called it Migration Assistant, but at some point I tried it, but literally it might be 15, 20 years ago, and it might even be back in the classic era, uh, and, it, and it just was completely unsatisfactory. Yeah, I mean, my experience with it has been basically like, if you want a clean install, like just like for organizational purposes, or to try out new ways of doing things, or whatever, go for it, that's fine. But Migration Assistant is so good that you don't need to really ever do that. It's totally optional. If you don't want a clean install, you never have to do one. Yeah. And you know what? I'm thinking about it. Even things like my shell. So like I'm, I've never really learned a bash in a, I, I can use it, but I'm not a bash expert. I never had like a super complicated bash RC file. Uh, so I switched to fish, uh, at some point in the last year, uh, and I find it to be very fun, and I love that it doesn't have all these fifty-year-old Unix conventions. Um, and that it's my default shell on this machine. So, like, without me doing it, when I open Terminal, it it still is the same default as the last machine. So, somewhere within Apple, somebody cares about the one percent of Mac users who do things like install stuff and use their local bin. I bet it's actually well less than 1%. <laughs> right. I'll bet it is. But but because I'll bet that 1% includes the sort of people who are engineers on the migration assistant team. Right, yeah. There's a high likelihood. Somehow somebody somebody did the work for that, and I appreciate it. It's also, you know, it's a lot, a lot of, you know, pros. Like a lot of pros are developers. Right. A lot of developers put it there, especially web developers put even more stuff there. And that's a pretty big market for the MacBook Pro so that, and Macs in general. So yeah. that's that's actually, you know, it, that's something that they should do. So, I'm yeah, I'm glad they do. Um, other than that, I, I love the machine. Right now, it's still, it's, it has dropped below 100%. We're at uh, 98% battery life. It is <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> it is it is absolutely cool to the touch, even right at the base of the display where it gets hot faster. It runs very cool when you're doing minimal work. The display is lovely. Uh, True Tone works exactly as I expected it to, which is I've already forgotten it's there. Uh, but then when <laughs> I look, like my son brought his laptop on vacation. When I look at his screen in certain lighting conditions here, I'm like, oh my god, that looks so that looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm already ruined by by True Tone. Uh, that's probably going to be the single hardest thing about going back to my machine from this, and probably the single thing that might tempt me to up, update. Yeah, I mean, why go back? Because right. now you know migration assistant works. Now you're right. going to be buying every laptop. Now. I know, I know, I know. I might get on like an iPhone, like uh, year over year system. You know, with the iPhone, I'm still running my my iPhone right here in front of me has been updated 
ever since the original iPhone 10 years ago, or I guess 11 years ago at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. 2007. So like starting with my original iPhone in 2007, I've bought a new iPhone for myself every year. And every time I have updated from what it was, um, which is kind of amazing in terms of old school experience, even on the Mac side, it just didn't seem like that was a good idea to just keep buying new things and up, you know, keeping a system going, you know, from 11 years ago. Yeah, although I'm, I, th- I think I kept my first installation going for like seven or eight years. It was something crazy, right. but and, and you know, and with iPhones, it makes more sense because with iPhones, you get a lot more year-over-year change. And even that, even though that's in some ways, in like some years, that kind of is a little bit slower than others in recent times. Um, it's still way more year-over-year change than you get on the Mac side. You know, like these, like if you if you have a a like you know 2016 MacBook Pro, you know, then the 2018s, it's two more years on the iPhone, that would be a really big, nice jump. On the Mac, the 2018s are going to be, you know, 50% better at most on certain tasks. And in some ways, in, on most tasks, not nearly not that much better. Like, it'll be a little bit better, a little bit nicer, but, you know, largely the same experience. Um, so, single thing I like most is the display because it has true tone. Um, the single thing I like least is the keyboard because I just it just feels weird. I can't get used. To, I can, like, I don't hate it. And I remember from when I tested when the, when these MacBook pros first came out in 2016, November, 2016, yep. I, I got Apple. It sent me like three of them. I, I got, I got like the escape. I got a 13 inch with touch bar and then a 15 inch with touch bar, um, which w- was discombobulating to my simple mind. How do I, <laughs> How do I test three laptops? Well, they were once? staggered. Like everyone got right. the escape first right. to review because the touch bar ones weren't ready even for reviewers. Yeah, when they announced, and then the touch bar came out like a couple of weeks later, right? right. For reviewers, and but so because there were three of them, I spent longer than usual using it. You know, and and I remember then I I was like, this is unfamiliar. Um, I don't get like a keyboard feel wise. And I kind of got used to it, and I think I'm sure I would get used to this. I'm sure I would, but uh, one week in. My fingers still feel like they're in a foreign country or something. It's, it's, it, you know, like I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. It doesn't feel right. But, um, there are other people here who have similar keyboards. And I, in terms of the volume, you know, that this issue with, hey, this one's quieter because of the silicone membrane that they've added, there is no doubt in my mind that it's quieter. It's quieter from my memory of using the keyboards in late 2016. Um, I mean, I know Joanna Stern and I did a podcast at some point where she 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 really hated the noise that those keyboards made. I can't wait to talk to her. It was really bad. It, it was, was it was like it was like tapping on an upside down bucket. Yeah. Like it was so just like cheap and crappy sounding. Yeah. And it, keep in mind that they did change it in the 2017 also. Yeah, like they didn't say anything, but the 2017s yeah. were a little bit quieter. I didn't get one of those to test, but I had. I did do the typical. Uh, Apple podcaster thing, which is wander into an Apple store and <laughs> just start <laughs> typing on one. Yeah, we're very good at that. Right. And it's weird because I go in and I realize I look like a crazy person because I'm not looking at the display. I'm like, you know, like to, so that I can concentrate on what it sounds and feels like. I'm just sort of staring into space and I'm like realize, staring straight ahead. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, well, I'm just, you know, looking at one of the white spaces in the Apple store, you know, into the Johnny, into the Johnny Ive void where my visual field isn't really, I'm just, it's all about the feel and the listening. Um, but it was that, that was a subtle change. Whereas this is clearly a new keyboard and I think it's better. 
I, I definitely do. I think it's quieter. I, I, I think it even feels better. So, um, I, you know, one of my questions was with this silicone thing, everybody, of course, you know, there's this whole thing about the egress, you know, that, that little pieces of dust would get into your keyboard. You know, this is one of the biggest Apple scandals of the last year, a little bit of dust gets in your keyboard and all of a sudden one of the keys gets stuck and Apple, you know, it's to me embarrassing. I mean, everybody knows this is embarrassing that Apple even has commissioned, you know, a nice Apple style professional illustrators <laughs> to draw a diagram of the uh, exact 43 degree angle you should hold the MacBook with while you spray it with a can of compressed air. <laughs> right? Like the fact that this wasn't just like a word of mouth thing, like you go in the Apple store and they tell, you know, like zapping PRAM or something like that, all these, you know, little bits of tech tech support advice that float around and it's like, Oh yeah, just try a can of air or whatever. Like Apple had to actually like make it like a major illustrated support document. Um, the fear that, you know, common sense would say, well, what if they added this silicone layer specifically to combat this egress thing that was getting these keys stuck and was turning into a support and publicity nightmare for the company? Surely, um, They've spent a, way more money than they wanted to on on repairing these keyboards, um, and publicity wise, it's probably even more of an expense. It's one of the worst cases of bad publicity that they've had in recent years. Well, what if they added the silicone layer to keep out the dust and keep the keyboard working? But what if it makes makes the keyboard worse? Right. I mean, that was a you know, and I still haven't spent meaningful time with with one yet because mine's not here yet. But like. It's it, it, the keyboard is already just like barely good enough feeling for most people. <laughs> like most people either either you know like it or don't care. Um, but it's dealing with such tiny tolerances of like these keys barely move. It barely feels like you're pushing something down. Like if they reduce that, there's there's not a lot of room to reduce that. And so certainly a big risk of this is that it's, you know, that, that it makes it feel worse at the expense of making it more durable. Mm. So you're saying you don't think it feels worse? No, I, th- I think it feels better. I, I think it feels better than the, the ones without the membrane. The first, so there's three generations. There's the first generation. I, I think that that includes the MacBook One, or maybe they're only no, talking the, the, about MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pro. One, well, there's the, so the 2015 MacBook One, had a version of this keyboard that basically like they, they've all they all have the exact same travel right but the very first one had like no kickback on the right. keys and so it felt even worse than these yeah it felt the like 26 dead. yeah the 2016 when they made it when they put the macbook pro generation with this keyboard that it added this big strong kickback feeling which also made that horrible noise yeah but it did it, it did make it feel less crappy well what i'm saying what i'm questioning is apple describes this keyboard this one with the silicone layer as third generation but are they only counting macbook pro keyboards as in 2016 was first generation no, no. when they introduced 2016s they called this the second generation butterfly keyboard okay. the first generation one by their naming was the one in the 2015 macbook all right then the second generation is technically 2016 and 2017 macbook pros even though they're different and then the third generation is the right. 2018 one right so to go to software numbering lingo it would be like the 1.0 was the 2015 
MacBook One. 2.0 is 2016 MacBook Pros. 2.1 was right. the 2017 MacBook Pros, and this is 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this one better. I just no question in my mind one weekend, I like it better. And the things that I don't like are, are endemic to it. I don't like the less travel. Uh, but that might just be that I'm not used to it yet. I'm willing to concede that if given enough time with it as my main machine, I might grow to appreciate it because I, you know, I, I remember thinking the same thing every single time Apple makes their machines thinner, every single time they, they radically change their laptop keyboards. I don't like it because there's always less travel because they're always making them thinner. And so they have to reduce the travel because you, you have to reduce the travel on the keyboard to make the machine thicker. It's just simple three three dimensional spatial reality um you know I, in terms of feel i still like the way like you know like a 15 year old power book feels right. because it's you know got some click um so i you know but i'm realistic i don't expect a apple extended keyboard to mechanical keyboard on a laptop i realize it's physically impossible so i realize there's less travel and every time but you would totally it, buy it if it was oh yeah I definitely <laughs> um so the travel, you know, the travel is the travel. There's nothing they can do about it. I find, well, <laughs> well <laughs> all right. Okay. I'll, I'll let that go for this. Right. Okay. Well, there's nothing they could do other than to make the machines thicker, in theory. Although, well, uh, maybe not. You know, honestly, maybe know. not. Like, maybe right. they could just, because there are a lot of PC laptops that have a similar, you know, overall thinness and profile, uh, where the key trap, where it has more traditional style keyboard. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say that. And I also know that there are people who who prefer this, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, a good amount of them, actually. Right. A good amount of people genuinely prefer it. The thing that I find hard to get used to, and I remember this from 2016, too, is that the keycaps are physically bigger. So the keys are yes. bigger, and there's less space between keys. The keyboard itself isn't bigger. They've just reduced space between keys and used that extra space to make the keys bigger. And for some reason, even though it shouldn't, because the center of every key is still in the same position, uh, it feels to me like I have to spread my fingers wider. And and my hands my hands feel weird right now because before we started recording the show, I was writing a bunch of emails and posting a few things to Daring Fireball. So I was typing. And my fingers feel like I've spread them out, like, you know, webbed out right. my fingers they just feel a little sore like that. And that, that doesn't make any sense because the center of every key is still the same distance apart. And it, it's, I think it's, I think it's something that I would clearly get used to if I use this for a month and then went back to my 2014 MacBook pro, I would think, Oh my God, why are these keys so close to each other? You know what I, so I've gone back and forth with this generation of laptops. Um, <laughs> not, that's a, that, yeah. that's a euphemistic way of describing your history with understatement, maybe. <laughs> But like, so when I've spent meaningful time with them, I have gotten used to the travel. I've never liked it, but I've gotten used to it. Um, what gets me is the arrow key layout, not having like the gaps above the left and right arrow keys. Yep. And because like, so a combination of that and what you just described of like the, the margin between the keys being thinner, basically, yep. that it makes it for me, for my hands, it makes it harder for me to orient myself by feel yep. on the keyboard. It, it, it has, it feels closer to uh, just a flat piece of glass yeah the arrow key thing i'll never get used to and i yeah. it's you know it seems like this is was not a temporary blip on apple's 
design tastes like they're all in on full size left and right arrow keys and half size up down keys but not having that upside down t-shape to orient by feel i i don't know that i'll ever get used to it yeah, i'm I actually make tons of mistakes i am that. i am literally thinking i swear to god i'm thinking as i am even if this were my machine that i owned i might i might do it but i'm seriously thinking about making half half height strips of gaff tape and putting them on the bottom of the left and right keys. I, I really am. That's not a bad idea. I, well, that's gaff tape Especially was in a review unit. <laughs> gaff tape is how I solved my problem with the orientation of the uh, Apple TV remote. Is I just put a like a belt of gaff tape around the bottom part of the Apple TV remote, and then I could run my fingers along the side, and when I feel the tape, I know which way it goes in the dark or without looking at it. And I kind of feel. You know, gaff tape, Merlin Mann introduced me to gaff tape. Gaff tape is the, the one of the most amazing things. Anybody out there who doesn't have a roll of gaff tape in the house, go out, just go to Amazon and buy one right now. You'll thank me later. It is yeah, the it's most, great. it's the most amazing tape in the world. Um, the name comes, I believe, from the movie industry. Gaffers are, I think, the people who like adjust the lights and stuff like that, um, like the lighting stands. And so they use this black tape. Once they get the light in the right position, they'll tape it down on the set so that it can't move. Um, but gaff tape, like unlike something like duct tape, that's supposed to be like permanent when you peel it, gaff tape is very strong and it holds. It's cloth like and, and it, it is cloth like. So you, and so you can rip it perfectly straight yeah, you can rip it by it, hand. You don't need scissors, right? You don't need scissors. You rip it straight. Um, it's, it's easy to rip and the, it holds as much as you want. But then when you unpeel it, there's almost no residue or no residue. Um, so my concern on your on putting it under the arrow keys is that I, you might get some on the screen. Right, exactly. I would have, but it would be well, it would kind of be in the middle of the screen. There'd, so there'd be. I, I that's exactly my thought because it would absorb finger oil, and then there'd be two little oily spots on the screen. <laughs> yeah. But I clean my screen regularly because I I'm very sensitive to. Uh, I'm actually appalled at how many tiny little smudges I've gotten on this machine in the last week. Um, Have you ever been one of those people who has those like microfiber cloths that you put over the keyboard when you close the laptop? I used to use one of those. I used to, I, I, I forget when I stopped, but it used to be, uh, I forget what generation of, it was probably in the PowerBook era, but it, uh, up until a certain point in the PowerBook era, it was inevitable that you would get keyboard shaped marks on the display. Well, no, it was, see, that was just by closing the display. It wasn't inevitable because I, I, was, I just talked about this on ETP last night. So um, if if you put it in a bag where there was like something on top of it where you'd carry it so that it would compress it slightly, mm. if there was any pressure applied to that top screen lid, it would contact the keyboard. But if there was no pressure squeezing it, you know, squeezing it closed more, it wouldn't touch because I, I, I had a G4 aluminum power book. And I heard about this, and so like the, I basically constantly arranged my bags such that it would never get pressed mm. on, and I never had those marks. And everyone else I knew had them, and mine mm. was perfect. I didn't know about that. But back in that era, I, I didn't worry about it because I just used the microfiber cloth that covered the keyboard every time I shut the device. I guess I kind of knew that because I guess I only used that when I put it in a bag. I guess yeah. in two, I don't, I'd never really thought about it consciously, but if I was only closing it to keep it on a desk, just closing it for privacy reasons or just to shut it down, uh, I wouldn't do it every time. I would only use that, that it go between the keyboard and the screen rag. <laughs> Cause yeah. let's face it, we get, fa- it is, yeah. we get fancy and call microfiber cloths. It was a rag. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a really thin rag. It was a nice rag, a yeah. very nice rag. Probably a very expensive little nice rag. Right. <laughs> no, I, I always want to be one of those people. I, I never actually have like the dedication to the idea to actually do it, but I always kind of envy how good people's computers end up looking when they are those people. Mm. But so I'm curious. So, you know, so the arrow key thing aside, as the keyboard picky individual that you are, would you ever could like, would you be okay with this keyboard long term? Like, uh, you know, basically where we are now in the lineup, it looks like this is yeah. we're kind of you're kind of stuck with this forever now. Yeah, so. I could live with it. I, I, yeah. And and there are parts that I like. I genuinely admire and appreciate at a mechanical level and the way it feels. The way that with these butterfly switches, no matter what where on the key you press, the entire key moves down completely uh, flat. Right. That's that's new. And no other laptop keyboard I've ever seen does that. And when I do use this for a while and go back to my uh, previous generation keyboard, I I still I'm not used enough to this that I don't appreciate the other one overall. But I'm blown away at how wiggly the old generate the previous generation keyboard feels. It's like I cannot believe how these keys wiggle on an Apple laptop. See, I I. I can see that and I can feel that, but to me, I just don't care at all. Like, it's like they solved a problem that I would never have cared about. But I'm also here. It's like the arrow key thing to me, like it's, the, the, you know, the shape of those arrow keys not being full height. Like, it's unnecessary as far as I can tell. Like, I don't think there's any structural reason why they can't mm-hmm. have more metal there to make that just the T shape. It seems like it's purely an aesthetic choice. Yep. And honestly, that would, that would make me like, 50% happier with this keyboard yep. if they just yep. return the inverted T shape to the arrow keys. Absolutely. If there's one thing I could change on the keyboard, uh, it would be the the upside down T. Even the touch bar. I don't really mind the touch bar as much. as I don't really like it. I can't say I use it a lot, but, I, but I've never owned one on my personal machine and really gotten into a workflow with it. But I don't use function keys much either. Um, Once but, I remapped Escape to Caps Lock on all my keyboards everywhere, hmm. which took about a week to get used to, the touch bar stopped bothering me. I, I still don't want it. But if you know, hmm. but I'm I I'm gonna have it now, and I know that it'll be fine. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I could I could think about that. It's really it's not that bad. How you did know? you do that? Do you do that in the system preferences? Yeah, it's it's in in the modifier keys window. So you would never know because you use Apple keyboards. But if you ever yeah. want to use a PC right. keyboard on a Mac, you have to usually swap command and option yeah. on one of them because like yeah. the, the, the now, key. when I plug my extended keyboard two into a new machine, I don't have to switch anything, but I have to identify it in the way that they're oh, like yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like uh, I don't know what this is. Type the key next to the left shift key, right, and right, right, Z, and they're like, oh, okay, I got it. All right, I see where I am. No, this is different. Like PC keyboards basically right. like they you, use the windows key right. to be what command is on like the key code right. map right um so you gotta you gotta switch those but in that same window in system preferences keyboard yeah. modifier keys uh you can set caps lock to be escape see what i would be tempted to want to do and i'll bet it doesn't support it as i would be tempted to turn the back tick key to escape and turn caps lock into the back tick tilde key because I almost never type backslock or tilde, but my instinct to go top left for escape is impossible to override. I, w- I think it would take me forever to get to get used to caps lock as escape. But Honestly, turning, try it. It's it's super fast. Because one thing that's great about it is that you can hit it with your pinky. Like you don't have to move off the home road to hit escape. Hmm. So it's like if you're like, you know quickly right. dismissing a dialogue or something, it's really nice. Right. Well, that's like those people who the people who are used to the old Unix convention of cap where caps lock is making that the control key. Yeah, exactly. And, Same reason. And the way that all the there's a whole slew of of navigate you know move the insertion point or cursor whatever you want to call it with control whatever you know that having it just one little thing away from the A key for your pinky is super convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, 
Yeah, I can't believe I'm thinking about solving a problem on a. This is literally like what, like a five thousand dollar laptop? Because it does. I mean, look, the, if, you, if you're going to try the tape trick, try it on Apple's laptop, right. not yours. <laughs> the machine that they sent me is the Core i9 with the fastest processor, thirty two gigs of RAM, and the only thing that's not tippity top, tip top shape is uh, they gave me a measly two gigabyte. <laughs> Two terabyte, <laughs> two terabyte SSD, yeah. not the four terabyte yeah, SSD. That, only the two thousand dollar one, instead right. of the four thousand dollar one. <laughs> right, that's the only thing missing from this. Here's my rationale for this: number one, Apple won't care. Number two, I'm guessing when they get a review unit back, they probably treat it the same way as they treat a return, which means it's sent for refurbishment. Uh, which, no, 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 no. Well, I I don't know this. Uh, I can't verify it because I haven't seen it. But I believe for, I don't know if it's tax purposes, I don't know if it's accounting purposes, some kind, I don't know if it's really legal, if it's just policy, but I have been told that when they get a review back, I I don't know, do they trash it? I just, I've been told that they wipe it and then um, they like treat it like a prototype. I, I, I don't know. That's interesting. Because well, like, you know, you, normally like if you return one to a store, they don't go resell that to somebody else. They, as far as I know, they send it in for refurbishing. And refurbishing, yeah. they usually, I think they have to replace any component that people touch on mm-hmm. the outside of it. So I think, I, please yeah. write into John if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think they actually replace all the casing and keyboard and everything. And I think the only parts they refurbish are like the internals. Yeah. Right? And so if that's true, you can put as much tape on this keyboard as you want. Uh, I guess now that I think about it, I don't. I, I shouldn't say that they don't refer. So all I know is they, they do promise that they the first thing they do when a review unit gets sent back is wipe it clean. You know, they, right? And, and they say this in a way like you don't even have to worry about wiping it. Trust us, we'll wipe it. I still wipe them before <laughs> before I send yeah, them yeah. back. But yeah, so that would also you know if it is refurbishment, that's right. got to be part of the same process. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but I still can't believe that on a five thousand. I think this is a five thousand dollar config, something like that. Yeah, uh, that I'm thinking about solving a problem with gaff tape. But it really does drive me nuts. And because I just, it, and I don't look. I mean, who looks? You just go, like, part of the reason the arrow keys are down there in the bottom right is it's, it's like this super, it's like a Fitz's law thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, you don't, you know, by putting it in the corner, you just, it's so easy to get your fingers there. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what key is this? Where, and even the way, even the new gap between the up and down keys is, is harder to feel the difference between it's shallower which, and even even like for me like the where the where the keyboard ends and the rest of the case begins like the corners and the edges around the keyboard where it's kind of sunken in slightly to accommodate the keyboard depth that you know because the keyboard depth has changed that little sunken in area around the keyboard is now shallower and so even that is harder to feel like where the, like at the corner of the keyboard so when you're going, reaching for that right arrow key you used to be able to like kind of just move your hand until you could feel that edge right. of the keyboard. But it, it's not just shallower between the up and down. There's no longer a strip of aluminum between them either. There hasn't been for a while. Oh, I thought there was. No, but well, they, they kind of bend down. They, mm. they form like two little valleys between right. the up and down. Well, then it's just the shallowness. It's just shallower, even yeah. that, Even that is harder to feel, and it drives me nuts. And I'm never going to enjoy that. And I really, really wish they would go back to the upside-down T and just accept the aesthetic unpleasantness of the half-key height pieces of aluminum that are just naked above the up and down keys yeah like if i if i was able to fix either like if they would give me my magic wish and give me either more travel or inverted t arrows i would pick inverted t arrows all right what about inverted t arrows or a row of function keys instead of the touch bar same decision inverted key arrows yeah Yeah, same here um 
Touch ID is nice to have, but I've been wearing my Apple Watch all week, so I don't even <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need it. And I can't help but feel, and I suspected it would feel the same way. Uh, after an entire, almost an entire year now, uh, ten months with an iPhone ten in my pocket, I still feel like Touch ID on the MacBook. Pro feels like I'm using ancient technology. Like, why can't this camera just look at me? You know, there's there's a very nice there's it doesn't even need a notch. There's a whole strip up here. They, they yeah, can right. put whatever they want up there. Uh, why in the world doesn't this have Face ID? Like, yeah, like the MacBook Pro still has substantial screen bezels. Like, right. if you look at like the that that Huawei MateBook X, the, the you know the, the MacBook ripoff. Right. It, I, when I saw one in a Microsoft store, I was actually very, it, it kind of struck me like how cool it looked, how, how futuristic it looked because, and that's the one like you saw, like everyone saw on The Verge a few months ago. That's the one that has the webcam is in a pop-up function key where you like hit like the middle key in the function row and it's actually this little like pop-up webcam that pops up. So like it's, it, you know, it's, it's ridiculous on a number of fronts like that, but. They did succeed in getting an edge to edge. Yes, display. but but the display, you know, they basically crammed like a roughly fourteen inch display into a thirteen inch body, and it looks incredible. And it's like otherwise, it's like the same dimensions, roughly, and same weight, roughly, as the thirteen uh, inch MacBook Pro, and it really does look great. And I would love for them to reduce the bezels at all at, at, in any way in the MacBook line because. What you want, same thing with the phone, you want the biggest screen and the smallest laptop, right? And so any progress towards that would be great for the future. Well, and that brings me to one of the things that I genuinely dislike about this machine, and I've disliked it ever since they came out in 2016, which is that it now, again, says MacBook Pro on the bezel. Yeah. When they, and I was just talking, I had a Twitter discussion with some people today and some of them are like, I've never, I've never had one without that. And that's because you skipped the initial retina MacBook pros. So the The 2012s. Yeah. The 2012s, when the retina MacBook pros went to retina, they no longer printed MacBook pro on the bezel. It was just black, just black, more like, like an iPhone, like in the way that Every other competitor, it was, and it's always been baffling to me that Samsung rip, would rip off, especially in like the iPhone 3G, 3GS era when the whole patent lawsuit came about and they had the phone that was held up in court and a Samsung <laughs> marketing person couldn't tell whether it was an iPhone 3G or a Samsung phone. Like they tried to make their phones look so much like an iPhone. It was absolutely embarrassing for somebody who's not claiming to make counterfeit products. Um, but they always insisted on printing their ugly ass Samsung logo on, on the forehead uh, or the chin. I don't know where they printed it, but some, somewhere on the front of the phone, they'd put a big old Samsung logo and Apple never printed anything. And, and of course, never allowed the carriers to print anything on the actual face of the phone. I like that on the, my personal MacBook Pro so much. And I find this so distracting and it's not like shiny it's not white it's gray but i my eyes just keep looking at it and i just keep thinking why 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 would you know once you got away from it and you just had that nice perfect black border why would you do that like it's just like with tvs like when you see a, a big screen tv and the way that bezels have shrunk on tvs it's similar to the phones now where they couldn't you know even samsung has stopped printing their name because they can't because they've gotten it doesn't a, fit it doesn't fit right and tvs have gotten to that point but having a distractive manufacturer name on the bezel of a tv is incredibly distracting and you know apple wouldn't do it i don't know why they went back to this on the macbook pro but my theory is that it coincides with the fact that the top, the display is so thin now that they can't backlight the Apple logo. Yeah, so which, honestly, I, I kind of miss that still. But 
I, it, like when I see now, when I see like you know a mixed company laptop party going on, right. like you know you see some that have the glowy one and some that don't. I do admit the glowy one does look old now, just because that's what the old models have. And um, but but I do kind of miss that. I but, miss it too. But I and I asked about it, and I it really wasn't like a it it was it was something that you, people from Apple seldom seldom admit. <laughs> To anything like this, but that they even said it wasn't really that we didn't want it or preferred not having it. It was just it's just too thin that we couldn't make the top that thin and backlight it. It, it's, yeah. you know, you need a light here for this and this. Uh, well, and, and like the 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 extreme thinness of the of these, you know, the display lids on on laptops now. I think that might cause problems for ever having Face ID in these things. Yeah, like you mentioned I, Touch ID earlier, like. Right. Like and and I, I kind of have a mixed right. opinion on on Touch ID versus Face ID. Like whenever I use Touch ID for something, now that I'm now that I'm also accustomed to Face ID, like whenever I use Touch ID, I I both think, oh how quaint it's the past, and also oh that was fast and easy. <laughs> so it's I'm slightly torn on on because like I do Face ID is mostly fine, but I do like with Touch ID not only how fast it is, but how the like the permission granting step is the same step as the authentication with face ID, like mm. it authenticates you and then you have to confirm somehow, well, you know, double tap the side button or whatever else with touch ID. That's one thing you put your finger on and that is both authenticating you and saying, I approve this transaction. Have you used an iPhone with touch ID recently? Did you like install yeah. beta on it? Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like it, I, I couldn't it does stand feel it. old in the iPhone sense, but in, in the sense of authorizing purchases, it, it still feels nicer to me than face ID. Hmm. The last few years, I have every summer I've done the same thing, which I've taken my uh, I haven't I, I, with it before I installed the iOS beta on my main phone, which I'm probably on the cusp of doing uh, because I feel like the betas have a re- you know been really stable oh, this yeah, year. It's fine. Um, but in the early betas, I would install them on a year old iPhone and put my SIM card in that and use that as my, as my daily phone to see how the thing is. I tried that this year and, and the lack of face ID drove me nuts. And just, I've gotten so addicted to things like being able to look without unlocking it, just look and have my notifications go from not showing the text of the notifications to, okay, we see it's you, here's the text of the notifications and I can just read them like that feature alone. I, I, can't live without so oh, i don't even, i need i don't it's like my stuff is not that secure like I, I don't need oh so you have the full text just yeah right there when you wake it I, up i turned off attention detection also because it made face id more reliable and faster um <laughs> because again it's like i don't if I, it's never it, the first time somebody like holds my hmm. phone up to my like sleeping face and it, author, it authorizes then i'll turn it off but i should think about that because i still happened. i still have the problem where my favorite sunglasses don't don't work with that. I should think about that. Maybe I'll turn yeah, off. I don't know if it'll fix that or not, but it I certainly, it might. I think it it certainly makes it more forgiving. Yeah, I think it would. Cause I think the only, I think the only thing the sunglasses block is the ability to see what you're looking at. Like, I think that they get enough other data points from your nose and your cheeks and Maybe. chin and etc. cetera. What, uh, what I miss whenever I have to like use Tiff's phone or something, cause she has, a, she has an eight plus and I have the 10 and, and whenever I have to use her phone, what throws me off the most is not touch ID, but, tapping the screen doesn't wake it up right right oh that drives me nuts i can't use it yeah and so i'm i'm addicted to the 10 but i want i want face id in this but i think you're right that the thinness might be a problem it might take longer than i fear for them to get the sensor array to be thin enough to fit there well and ultimately they might never put face id in the macbook maybe like, like touch id is fine for for the context of unlocking a macbook in fact in, in some ways it's actually better um and and it's it's also you know it's possible that they could put the face id camera and sensor in the touch bar it doesn't have to be in the screen lid 
Right. You know, I don't think they would. I don't think they want to you know spend the space, and I don't think right. they want to have like a separate sensor area like above the above the keyboard row there. But but you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be in the screen lid. But if yeah. it ever does go in the screen lid, that would be a heck of a feat of miniaturization because these things are so like the screen lids are so thin, right? And there's really no reason to make them thicker than they need to be just for yeah. a Face ID camera. Yeah, I think the original story. I could be getting this wrong, but I think I'm right that the original glowing Apple on the back of a a PowerBook. Um, was sort of a, hey, why don't we? Because the the LCD technology at the time generated a lot of light, and mm-hmm. they realized that, hey, if we just put like a translucent Apple logo there, we could just let the light from the display shine through the Apple, and the Apple logo will light up. I'm pretty <laughs> right. sure that was the explanation for how it worked. And the, the yeah. current displays don't work like that anymore. I, I don't know what at what point the technology changed, but like the screen only glows in one direction now. Um and so they added, but they loved the feature so much that they put a separate lighting system in to keep the Apple logos lighting up. And that's why. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's why, because if, if they could still get the light from the display, they thickness wouldn't be a worry. They would just, you know, they just don't put anything in between the display and the Apple logo. But, uh, but that would I, also probably cause like a brightness drop in the middle of the screen. Like as right. things get more sensitive and thinner right. and everything like. I can see why that would be challenging to do technically. It is possible. It is possible that I'll have to do follow up on the next episode, and somebody will tell me that I'm nuts that it was always a separate lighting thing. But I seem to recall that when they first did it, like if you made your display as you dimmed your display, the Apple logo would dim, and as you brightened your display, the Apple logo would brighten. Yeah, I just I assumed it was always that way. Like I assumed that it was always just leaking light from no. the backlights. Basically. No, if you look at like if you look at like the modern ones, the Apple doesn't change brightness with the oh, screen. Oh man, yeah, I'll take think, a look after the show. I don't know. Uh, what else are my personal thoughts on this? Uh, the SSD, the SSD is so fast. I, did, I haven't run any benchmarks because so many people with these reviews and like the YouTube crowd does such a great job with, with benchmark. I mean, they like too good of a job. It's like, oh my God, just shut up and tell me how fast it is. Um, so I'm not <laughs> hey running guys, tests, but make sure to like, and subscribe. But the Here's pe- 15 minutes of preamble before I actually tell you the one frame you want to see in the video, but the, the new ones. And I think that it's true. I'm, uh, you, you might know you memorize stuff like this better than me, Marco, but I think all of them, the new MacBook pros have this new SSD that's super fast. It's not just a 15 inch thing. It's the 13 inch has it too. That's correct. That comes right. along with the T2. So the T2 yeah. among the list of things it does, it's also the disc controller now right. that like the T1 that was in the previous generation touch bars wasn't that advanced. Right. It's, it started with the iMac pro and Apple is basically, you know, they've written their own controller and they are, and it's integrated into the T2 and it is directly addressing the, uh, the flash chips. And, and so this gives, a number of you know performance improvements. It's it happens to be a, a really good and really competitive yeah. disc controller. Yeah. So like you know if you compare it to if you would have just like put a Samsung SSD in your computer, like then then like there's one there's like a Samsung controller on that SSD that controls the flash and everything. So that's kind of how this is like you know it's like it's Apple's controller there instead of instead of somebody else's and it's really good. And, and on the iMac Pro, they were using dual SSD modules. Like in parallel, kind of like a RAID zero, mm. but like at a lower level. So they were using dual modules in parallel to get even better performance. And on the MacBook Pro, it appears that they're hitting those same numbers. So I think they're using the same thing where they're just like, you know, they're running multiple flash modules in parallel, and which is kind of always the case with SSDs, but they're doing it to a larger degree, I think, than, than is typically done. Uh, and their controller is excellent. And as far as, to the best of my knowledge, that applies to every configuration of the new 13 and 15 inch. Hmm. Um, so, but it, it, it actually is weird. So like, it's so fast that um, the other day I needed to uh, install 
uh, a beta version of BB edits. I, I just measured, I just waited. It's 39 megabytes. So it's, you know, by today's standards, 39 megabyte is not much, but I, um, uh, at a disc image. And so it was definitely a copy. This isn't like an APFS thing. It was like, you, you know, the whole thing where you open the disc image and then in the disc image, there's a little arrow saying here, point it to this, uh, you know, uh, sim link to your applications folder. I drug it over and let go and nothing happened. And I was like, oh, and I blamed it on the trackpad, which I guess I should get to because the trackpad, I'm not used to this no physical click trackpad. Um, and it's size. And the size and the fact that it has force touch. So I've, and I've, so I've had misclicking things in, you know, earlier in the week where there's, you know, things that I've thought I was dragging, I've dropped before I was ready and stuff. So I figured I misclicked, but it was actually there. It just happened so fast that the finder didn't even have time to show the, the dialog box. And I realized 38 megabytes isn't that big, but I've never seen that before. Like I just, I, I got no feedback whatsoever that it actually copied this application to my <laughs> applications folder. It was so fast. It is absolutely astounding. Yeah, I think like we're lucky in that in the last few years, as Intel's having all these troubles moving the CPUs forward, there's been not that much progress in CPU performance. But computers keep getting faster right. because there's been huge leaps in GPU and SSD performance. Right. And increasingly, those you know the GPU is increasingly being used by lots of things, and the SSD is used by pretty much everything. Yeah. So almost every workload can be improved by increasing SSD performance, and Apple's been really, really good at that recently. Right. I mean, you know, and SSDs have been great even since we first made it into consumer technology, even when they, you know, by today's standards, they were crude. They've always been great, and they're so much more reliable, uh, and they're dead quiet, et cetera. But it really is like we're living in the future that, like, 20 years ago, we imagined, like, where you would make a RAM disk. You'd make a disk image <laughs> in RAM, then let, you know, tell Photoshop, use this, you know, or, or some kind of disk-intensive application here. Here's a here's a, a quote-unquote disk that's really using up very valuable RAM, but to have real fast read-write. Yeah, where uh, everything just happens instantly. And, like, right. There's no waiting. Like, we're living it when, with an SSD performance like this. We're living <laughs> in a future where literally your persistent storage is like having a RAM disk. It's crazy. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people, you know, you're looking at your old laptop from 2012 through 2015, maybe, or even earlier, and you're thinking, you know, what, what do the new ones get me? And the answer is, on the processor side, not much. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of thing where, like, if you upgrade, honestly, I still don't, you know, I think if your old laptop still works fine for you, I don't, th- I don't think it's that pressing of a need to upgrade. But if you upgrade, what you would be getting for that is some more CPU performance, but a lot more SSD and GPU performance. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Um, all right, let me take another break here and thank another sponsor. That is who is being put to use this week in this house, and it's our good friends at Away. Away makes uh, luggage. Um and they make fantastic luggage out of uh, some kind of fancy German polycarbonate plastic, blah, 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 blah. Um, just trust me. It's really, really nice stuff. And again, one of my favorite things that keeps me, I swear, like there's this whole industry of like, hey, we sell direct to you companies and they advertise on podcasts. Uh, and it's great. You get these great products. They high quality, and you get them at a low price because they cut out middlemen. Blah blah blah. But the thing about these companies, and a way exemplifies it, is that you don't get overburdened by choice. Like I hate making decisions where there's thirteen different lines of luggage from the same company, something like that. Now you don't. You just pick what size you want. You pick what color you want, and that's it. 
it is fantastic. It is so easy. Um, and they're just absolutely great. They have a lifetime guarantee. They have a hundred day trial where you can just use it, haul it, you know, get one now for your August vacation, haul it around the world, wherever you're going. And if you don't like it, just send it back. They'll, you know, it doesn't matter if it's all banged up, uh, send it back to them. They'll give you your money back so you can try it. Uh, it's really, really great. And so they, what I have over 10 colors, five sizes and the sizes are self-descriptive. It's not like Starbucks where you go in there and, and the small ones called tall, you know, nonsense like that. <laughs> Look, they've got the carry on, the bigger carry on, the medium and the large. And then there's also the kids carry on. Uh, it, you know, immediately I, I've already told you, you know, exactly how big these things are. I have the carry on, not the bigger carry on. Um, I believe. I think that's the one I have. I don't know. But whatever It's the I one have, that used to be the only one. Yeah. So I think it's the carry-on. It fits in every overhead. Uh, I've had it for years now. It fits in every single overhead bin on every plane I've been on. Uh, the wheels still feel brand new. Uh, literally today, uh, this week, I've got it upstairs. Uh, I had to drag it through a parking lot full of little grit and gravel and stuff like that. <laughs> Indestructible wheels. They're the best wheels. Great handle. The handle moving up and down. Won't name the brand, but a friend who's here with us has a, a piece of luggage, uh, handle of which is like the plastics peeling off, and he's only had it a couple of years. Mine seems like brand new. It is absolutely great stuff. They've got, and people advertise patent pending, and I mean, my eyes start to roll. They have a patent pending compression system, helpful for overpackers. Uh, well, I don't know about the, whether the patent system should support patents for such things, but I'll tell you, they've got a really nice system for keeping your stuff in there. And I've never owned a suitcase where I can pack folded shirts. And when I get to a place, open it up and the shirts are still perfectly folded at like, like they came out of the drawer. Uh, it's a great system. It's simple. It's not like I, I didn't, there's no, maybe there is a manual. I didn't read it. I figured it out on my own. You just put your shirts on the right side. You put the thing over it. There's these little buckles that straighten it up. Now, John, what if I have my dirty clothes when I'm traveling? What I don't want to mix those in with my regular clothes. Is there anything Away can do to help me out? Yeah, they've got like a little bag. It's some kind of uh, special fabric, I think, even, that's supposed to keep odors out. But they have a little like dirty laundry bag right there. Takes up no space before you get there. And once you get there... You just start stuffing your dirties in there, keeps them away from all of your clean clothes. And so if you're making a multi-stop trip or if you've overpacked and you still have like three clean shirts as you're coming home, your clean stuff that you take out of the suitcase, you can just put right back in the closet because it hasn't been rubbing up against your dirty Mack Weldon underwear. Uh, <laughs> it's just great luggage, lifetime warranty, 100 days, money back guarantee, uh, I've got one. We've got a couple of them here in the house, actually, uh, for this trip. Uh, really, really great stuff. And, oh, the uh, built-in cell phone charger. Built-in little, I don't know how many thousand uh, mega amp or whatever you measure those things by, but two USB ports. Um, you can sit there at the airport. Any seat in the airport. Don't look. You no longer hunt for seats at the airport or no longer fish through your bag for the pocketable battery pack. Just find a seat at the airport. Keep your uh, carry-on in front of you. Flip the little thing, and you can plug your iPhone uh, right in right there. I use that every time I go to the airport now. I, I can't remember the last time I haven't used it, and it's such a great feature. Uh, Actual capacity might be less than 10,000 mega amps. Yeah. Well, whatever. 
<laughs> it's enough to charge a bunch of phones. And the other thing too, it's enough that you don't have to like charge your suitcase every time you get somewhere or when you go. I charge mine like once a year. And every time I get to the airport, there's still juice in there for me to plug, uh, I, you know, two or even two of us to plug our iPhones in for the however long we're waiting for our flight to be called. Uh, it's really fantastic. And you don't, that's the big, I should mention that because when I first heard about this, I thought, well, who the hell wants to have to charge your suitcase everywhere you go? Uh, it's not like that at all. So it's really great. Here's their special offer. You can save 20 bucks off a suitcase by going to awaytravel.com slash talk show. Awaytravel.com slash talk show. And use promo talk show. Know the during checkout. Um, so go to awaytravel.com slash talk show. Remember that promo code talk show and you will save 20 bucks off your suitcase Really, I, this is another one of those products where even if they weren't a sponsor, I would I would tell you to go buy one because it's a great product. It really is. You know, I see them everywhere now. Like when you're traveling, like I see more and more away suitcases rolling through airports with people. Yeah, like they're they're you know they're they're spreading. They're popular for for good reason. Well, they're popular enough. So it, and I'll mention this. There's a new like certain airlines now have a rule that if um, if your bag goes into the under you know the the the, the check, check bags. Yeah. It, it can't have a lithium ion battery in it anymore. Uh, so the battery that's built into a waste suitcases, this wasn't the policy when they made it, but they obviously had the foresight. It's, it's very simple to remove it. You just unscrew two things and they keep, there's a little screwdriver that, that you can just keep right there. They give it to you so you, you don't have to, you know, happen to have a Phillips head screwdriver with you. So if you were, were planning to carry your bag on and they were like, oh, the overheads are full, you have to check it. And they see, hey, that's a battery. You, you know, now you're in trouble. What, what's going to happen? It'll take you like a minute, and you could unscrew this thing. It would, it would take you longer to open the suitcase than it would to remove it. So it is easily removable. But it's the popularity is such that when you're going through the airport, uh, TSA people see it and they're like, hey, does that a battery? And I'll just say, <laughs> oh, it's removable. And they're like, okay. But they nice. definitely, they definitely are used to seeing them. There's definitely a ton of them out there. Um. So what else? A trackpad I wanted to talk about. I'm getting used to it. Uh, I I do miss the clickability. I I feel like my physical the physical there's nothing beats a physical click. Agreed. It is uncanny how much this this keep this trackpad feels like it's clicking, even though it actually isn't. It's absolutely uncanny. And I do turn up like there's light, medium, and firm. I think they describe it as yeah, if, yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of how much click do you want to feel when you're getting these fake clicks? What do they call it? Light, medium, and firm. Yep. I bump it up. You know, medium is, of course, the default. I bump it up to firm uh, just because I'm, you know, at retro. I'm an old person <laughs> who wants it to feel the most like the old ones. Uh, do you think the keyboards will ever have an option to emit fake keyboard sounds to sound like your keyboard? No, I don't think so. Because they do make enough sound as is. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Actually. And I don't use it for the sound. I, the, the sound is a byproduct of the feel. It's the yeah, feel yeah. that matters. Uh, I found my my recipe for happiness with the Force Touch trackpads because I, I too really miss the old ones. Um, and and the the good the new ones I I don't think are as good. Um, but I have reached the point where I think they're good enough that I stop caring. Uh, and my recipe for happiness is. Not only to put it on the firm kickback mode, but also to disable 3D touch. Mm, I'm on the cusp of that. I'm uh, absolutely on the cusp of disabling 3D touch because I never seem to want it. And the only reason I haven't so far out of a knee-jerk frustration of when it's kicked in and I didn't want it 
is just that I don't want to disable it just because I'm not used to it. I want I don't want to be that old man who wants to you know get rid of all the new stuff as quickly as I can. I want to give it a shot. Well, I will be that old man because I'm telling you it's so much better. Like it's like, because the problem with the force with the the 3D touch on the trackpad is like so you know on, on Macs the way this works for anybody who somehow doesn't know who's been living under a Mac rock is that the you basically have like two simulated levels of pressure on the trackpad. So the first pressure level is the regular click. And then if you kind of click harder, like if you push further in on your, you know, in like the virtual depth of it, uh, you get the secondary function. And, and it's not, it doesn't do a right click. Right. It does some kind of third option that We're, is supported by not that many things. And it provides some kind of shortcut. And ultimately, I have found when I've had it on and I've, when I've tried using it, I have found it, it ne- I never want the thing that it offers me right. on the second level, but I frequently accidentally invoke it, especially when I'm trying to drag things. So the, yeah, that's exactly it. So the one where it, I almost like in a rage turned it off was I went to drag something from the finder and instead got quick look because <laughs> that's what you get in a finder when you when you 3D click on an item in the finder, you get a quick look of it. Well, why in the world do I want a quick look of an application <laughs> Just shows you the application icon, <laughs> right. big, and it, it's well, like the space bar isn't that hard to hit, right? Right. It's, it's, especially with these new ones, it's like a millimeter away from the trap. <laughs> right. It, it's not far away. It's not like your hand has to move far, uh, especially if your hand is already on the keyboard. You, and you're using your thumb for the drag, which is very typical for me, but is also less precise. Like my, if I use my index finger. I don't, I never do it by accident, but my thumb is a clumsier digit than my index finger and my thumb is often most often what I'm using on the trackpad and I'm more likely to trigger it. Uh, I'm also unconvinced. I remain unconvinced that the bigger trackpad is in any way an advantage. There are downsides where you're, you, you can get touches you didn't intend more often. And I, I don't see what, what I do where having the trackpad be this much bigger is actually better. I'm unconvinced. I I don't get tons of false touches and I see that, you know, that there's all these like, you know, three fingers and your thumb in a pinching out thing exposes the desktop, you know, and I can see how, you know, some of these gestures are so complicated or, or use so many fingers, I should say, um, that having the extra space might be helpful, but I'm unconvinced that this is actually better. And I wonder if they did it because somebody thinks it looks better. Or I, I think, you know, keep in mind, like when this body style was, you know, was uh, released in 2016 with the touch bar. This was kind of Apple saying, like making making a statement that no, the trend of literally everyone else's laptops going touchscreen hybrid, that's wrong. What you want right. is the touch surface to be on the same plane as the keyboard. Right. Like that was Apple, that was the statement they were making to the world. So I think it was part of like, in in making that statement as strongly as they could, not only do they ship the touch bar on the top, you know, above the keyboard, but then below the keyboard, they have this massive touch area to say, look, this whole thing is touchable. You don't need to touch the screen. By the way, I think they're wrong on that. But regardless, um, I, you know, I think it's the, the real world problem with this is very similar to what I just described with force touch with, you know, with 3D touch on, on the trackpad, which is like the occurrence of accidental input and and like an unintended or or failed attempts to do basic things like type without mousing around the accidental input happens more often than the intended use like if the intended use is to allow a lot of those like you know big multi like four finger gestures do people really use those much more often than they accidentally brush the trackpad while they're trying to type like probably not so this is another example to me and and i think it's also telling that 
when I went back after having one of these for like eight months, when I went back to my 2015 MacBook Pro, and therefore I went from a bigger trackpad to a smaller one, I like didn't notice at all. I didn't even notice for a second. I, I wasn't missing the extra space, even after being used to it pretty well. Like it would, it was just like, well, that was unnecessary. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, and the fact that it causes the accidental input, I think like that's, that to me is the damning thing. It's like, if, if it didn't have any major downsides, fine, make it as big as, as big as it can be without causing major downsides. But I think they went too far. They made it too big and it does have major downsides with accidental input. And so to me, it's, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. Hasn't been too big of a problem for me in the last week. I, I, I think way less about the trackpad being all new than I'd think about the keyboard being new. The keyboard is something I'm thinking about every time I type and the trackpad, it's like a couple of times a day. I'm like, Ooh, what was that? And the, and the force touch thing is more, more than the size. Agreed. I kind of wish that the, I think I wish that the keyboard was still the same size as it used to be, but I know that so far I don't like, I don't care for the 3d touch or force touch, whatever. Yeah. yeah trackpad. Uh, what else? Um, I had Jonas play Fortnite on it, which is a very GPU intensive thing and is notoriously bad on Macs. Um, and it was pretty good. He said, you know, he had to turn the graphics down from the default high to one click down, but he said it still looked good. It looked good to my eyes and he was getting not quite 60 frames per second, but it was, it, it, seemed never to drop below 50 and it tended to be in the high 50s um see you don't need a gaming pc you need a five thousand dollar macbook pro <laughs> right exactly but that i thought that was an <laughs> to interesting almost test. reach 60 frames a second <laughs> as a side note on that story though i thought the weirder thing and it, and it to me it's a very telling anecdote about how important mac gaming is to the gaming industry um is i installed fortnite Number one, this sucks. Uh, this is, is really a boo hiss thing where uh, to launch it, you have to get it from Epic. They don't sell it on the App Store and they don't have it in Steam because the whole game goes through in-app purchases and they don't want to do a 30% split with anybody. I don't blame them for that. But you can't just download Fortnite and install Fortnite.app. You have to install this thing called the Epic Games Launcher. And then every time you want to play, you have to like start the Epic Games Launcher and then launch Fortnite from there. Yeah. Uh, and then once you install it, it like the Epic Games Launcher somehow without asking, I don't know how they did it. I, it's weird, but I haven't quite figured it out. But they somehow, um, I think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just that I, I logged out and had the setting to relaunch everything that was there. But when I logged back in, I logged out and logged back in and the Epic Games Launcher launched again and wouldn't quit. I had to force quit it. And Am I allowed to say epic fail? <laughs> you are. <laughs> That's awful. But here's the weird part. The really weird part was the first time we launched it and Jonas signed in with his uh, credentials and, you know, got ready to play and everything loaded. And then it made, you know, it's like finding a match, finding 100 people for him to play against. And then it said loading dot, dot, dot. And a progress bar marched across. And the progress bar was like 98% of the way there. And then just didn't go any further. And it wasn't frozen because the dot, dot, dot next to the word loading continued to animate. And it just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. I mean, minutes, literally minutes. And we were like, eh, what the hell? And it was like, I don't know what to do. And you couldn't quit at that time. So we had a force, we forced quit, did it again. And it just got that far and waited like easily, definitely minutes. I was like, give it a couple minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. And 
like way more minutes than it could possibly be normal. And there's, it certainly wasn't waiting on the internet. The internet speed here is absolutely fantastic. It's like 150 megabits per second up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco's, mm-hmm. Uh, so Jonas and I started uh, searching the web for solutions. And I found, there were a couple of these, like infinite loading, and some of them date back years. But then I found a thread just from June where somebody said, uh, you know, said they had this problem. And then somebody else said, wait about 10 minutes. It takes about 10 minutes for the first match, uh, and then you'll be in. And then after that, subsequent matches will will start up automatically. Epic has known about this since April, and he had like a link where he pointed to a thing where this exact problem was reported to Epic in like early April. And it's just on Mac. Just on Mac. Uh, and I think just some Macs. It seemed like everybody was saying MacBook Pro. Um, so I don't know, you know, it... it, it 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 may not be every Mac, but it's certainly enough. It's certainly it's it was once you start googling it, it's it's wide enough. Uh, Is it too soon to ask if it was throttling? <laughs> no, I, but what a weird bug! Like first match you play, you have to wait ten minutes. And weird enough, so the the way Fortnite works is you're in a hundred person battle royale, hundred people, uh, free for all. Last person standing wins, and you try to shoot everybody else. Uh, on a big map. By the time Jonas got in on the one where he waited 10 minutes, there were only 30 people left. <laughs> so like <laughs> the game had, the match had been going on. And so in a weird way, it was sort of like a cheat because he got to start playing after 70 people had already been eliminated. It's sort of like jumping into a marathon at the 18th mile. <laughs> it's like, Hey, I'm winning. Um, and as, as promised in the thread, you know, he was eliminated and he said, I'll play again. And it loaded him, you know, everything was normal at that point. But I think that's so telling that a bug so glaring has existed in the Mac version of Fortnite since April. And they've had several updates since, you know, it's not like they have an update, they update all the time. And they haven't fixed it. Like clearly, if this was an issue on the PlayStation or Xbox or the PC, it would it would be a you know priority one bug to fix. And you know the Mac, it's like, yeah, yeah. The Mac is like half people in the company are like we have a Mac version, right? This is why people installed uh, Bootcamp to play games on their Mac. And this and that in turn is the biggest. Hmm. I think we collectively might be underestimating the problems that might happen if and when Apple switches the Macs to ARM CPUs and uh, either bootcamp goes away or if, if somehow bootcamp still works and you can install like the ARM version of windows, uh, it certainly isn't going to work with the Intel based games. Well, I think maybe too, like there's, you know, Apple has been losing gamers for a while. I mean, you know, to a lot of degrees, they never really had the gamers. Well, but the Mac is losing gamers. Apple's not losing gamers. Well, right, gamers. yes. Good, yeah, good clarification. Right. Yeah, iOS is doing great <laughs> gamers. But, uh, but yeah, the Mac, you know, the Mac has never prioritized gaming, really, and and it seems to only be getting more and more distant from it as right. gaming is getting even more sophisticated. Like, the GPUs for gaming are getting even more powerful, and the difference between a gaming GPU and what Apple puts in its Macs is is just getting I think wider and wider over right. time and and so you know Apple's solution to gamers like on the desktop is like you know buy an iMac Pro or a Mac Pro that's right. that's not going to work and 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 as VR comes in with gaming too like that's that becomes even less doable on on Mac GPUs and Mac yeah. hardware so I'm guessing that problem is just going to work itself out that way where Macs will just become so 
bad as gaming platforms that gamers will just use gaming PCs and yeah. it'll and maybe have a Mac laptop on the side also, but right. like, you know, get that, like separate those rules. Yeah. So I think what Jonas wants and it's weird, it doesn't like break my heart. It's not, you know, liking Apple stuff is not a religion for me. Uh, he wants a gaming PC. Uh, he doesn't, I don't think he wants, you know, and we've told him, well, let's be serious about it. You know, this is a serious, a lot of money, you know, this is a lot of money, but he, you know, he's still using a 2014 MacBook. Uh, MacBook Pro, but you know, uh, you know, which is nice for, for an eighth grader, in my opinion. But it is four years old, uh, and it's less nice for games. It is not nice for games at all. It's really irrelevant to the most of the games he wants to play. There's a but well, he plays so many games, but like there's a game he plays. I don't know what it's called, but it's sort of like Risk, and you can play it online and you can play it with your friends and stuff like that. But because it's like a map based. God view game. It's not graphically intensive at all. Right, and it right. still makes his fans roar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely roar. So, yeah, it's, it, but for stuff like, for, like Fortnite even tells you if you have Intel Iris graphics that it, it, it'll just die. You know, it just refuses to run. I mean, and that's what a, a four year old MacBook Pro has. That's what um, every MacBook Pro has if it's smaller than a 15 inch also. Right, right. I, yeah. So I think even a brand new 13 inch MacBook Pro couldn't run Fortnite. You're probably right. right. Yeah, because it does have Iris graphics. It might try, but yeah. the Epic is very explicit that if you have an Intel Iris graphics set, you're, you're, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, but the Mac, the 15 inch MacBook Pro, or at least this one, runs it with, you know, it, it, again, you have to turn the graphics down like one click from the default, but they still look good. Jonas said he'd be, you know, he was happy to play it. He thinks it compares very well to what his PlayStation 4 is capable of. Um, but it's really hard to tell because a, a 1080p TV is very, that you're sitting a few feet from in, in front of, it's very different than a retina display that you're sitting a few inches in front of. Um, but, you know, it runs, and I thought that was a pretty cool test. Also, though, it makes the machine <laughs> egg cooking hot. Yeah, this that's the wrong tool for the job. I mean, like, like what you, I mean, <laughs> it, it really gets hot. And as I sit here, <laughs> as I brag about the battery life, I'm getting here doing nothing, just looking at the screen. Right now, it still says 88%, and we're over two hours. <laughs> over two hours of me staring at the screen at almost top brightness. Am I, what level am I at here? I'm about 80% brightness. I'm at 88%. Jonas played one round of Fortnite. Well, two. There was the one where he had the 10-minute wait, and then he played one normal match, and the battery dropped 26%. <laughs> yeah. And this, and with, with these laptops, too, with, with very high-powered components, when you have like the top-end GPUs, the top-end CPUs, it is often the case with modern laptops, including Apple's, that if you max them out like crazy, sometimes they can, even if they're plugged in, they can slowly discharge their own battery because they're using more <laughs> power than the power adapter can supply. Yeah. And so you actually have you have limited amount of time, like because they will eventually drain their own battery while plugged in and need to be shut down. So like like this is like when I was when I was like you know going through puberty and I started getting a mustache. For the first couple of months, my mom like didn't want to like admit to herself that I was growing up, right. and so she made me just occasionally like, trim it with scissors, right? And and like eventually, it, and it was ridiculous. And like eventually, after a couple couple of weeks or months of that, uh, my uncle was like, "You got to get this boy a shaver." Like this, so I feel like this is the wrong tool for right. this. You need to get your son a gaming PC. That's right. that's the real answer here. But like, he doesn't want a gaming laptop. He wants <laughs> no, a, he, no, he wants a desktop PC. And I that's I, the way to do it, right? And you know, uh, he doesn't need it. You know, it, it, you know, he could just take the switch with him when he wants to play. He's perfectly or play. You know, he plays lots of games on his phone. And yeah. I think that's a reasonable trade off. I think he's actually making the right decision where he's optimizing to have the best experience most of the time, which is when he's home. 
and just forget about PC gaming period when he's on the road and use something like the switch, uh, or just an iPhone that is actually meant for mobile gaming for mobile gaming. I actually, had, I, I think he's, exa- I think he's got the, his priorities in line. Yeah. And it's, and that's, you know, like there's been a, there's, there was a series on back to work, uh, over the last like six months or so where our friend Dan Benjamin built a gaming PC with his son for his son. Uh, and then more recently our friend Mike Hurley built one. Uh, and, and like, I gotta say, like, it sounds really fun. Like if I was into PC gaming, I would have a lot of fun building a gaming PC. Ooh. And, because like, because it's so. Here's the thing, you you have to. It's it's like going to McDonald's. Like right. everything is so like tacky, and it's it's like junk food uh, for PCs. Like everything's covered in colored lights, and everything. It's like it's crazy, and but it's all like it's all in service of the you know the love of PC gaming, which can be really awesome. Were, and you just can't do it. On were those guys actually quote unquote building one by ordering components yes. separately and assembling? See, yeah. but because even that, <laughs> I, I'm leaning more towards just paying paying Alienware. I mean, you can do that too, but like, but you know, if you or Jonas have an interest in that, like, right. it like they like you know mike did it for like a fun project for him for like you know himself and his podcast right and then and dan benjamin did it as like a fun thing for him to do with his son and they they both said it was like neither like dan hadn't built a pc in years right. mike had never built a pc they both just followed online guides and it was really easy hmm. like it, it's you know it's a fun activity but regardless of how you get it i do think like a desktop gaming pc is yeah. the right move for this because like you can struggle trying to you know cut this mustache with scissors or you can get the actual right tool for the job and the actual yep. right tool for the job is a gaming pc uh, what else on this machine? I can't think of anything else on the MacBook Pro. Uh, Have you found? I mean, I, I know you haven't had it for that long, but what do you think about the the port situation? Has that been a problem for you? No. Or are you mostly okay? No, the only because th- I don't, I, I haven't had a need for it, um, and I don't really use ports anyway. I, I really, it, I use very little USB stuff, especially when I'm traveling. Um, the one thing we did run into was that. To play Fortnite, Jonas wanted to use his gaming mouse, which he did bring along. And the gaming mouse, of course, has a USB-A plug, and this doesn't have USB-A. And I thought I had a USB-C to A adapter in my backpack, and I know I own one somewhere. And I usually, you know, keep all of those little fiddly adapters. Even when I use them at home, when I'm done, I put them in my backpack, not like on my desk or shelf. But I didn't have it. And yeah, you need like a dedicated travel set, right? All these um, things. But there was one in the house, thankfully. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> Um, no thanks to me right uh but somebody else had one so problem solved that was the only thing that we ran into um you know i i i'm i'm the wrong person to ask about it because i just don't need it i and even with like uh i shoot i still use a fuji x100s that shoots you know on an sd card and in theory you know um you know, someday instead of waiting till I get home and, and going through the photos on my iMac, I might want to do it on this. But I have, I do have the SSD to USB C adapter with me. I think, I think that, um, that weird like SanDisk like flat one. I have one of those. It's yeah. really weird. Uh, I think I have it with me. I don't know. I, I do know I own one, um, but I don't need it on this trip, so I'm the wrong person to ask about it. I, I guess I, ATP covers it. I'm assuming that most people listening to this also listen to ATP, but you've talked about it. But I do. I guess the bigger picture thing about the MacBook line in general is that USB-C has not worked out the way Apple envisioned. And they don't have to admit it for us to know that it's true. There's just There can be no doubt that yeah. this many years, three years after the 2015 MacBook appeared with only a USB-C port, it's... It, Three years is way long enough uh, for it to be clear that it just has not worked out the way they clearly thought it would. And every, almost everything you buy that's USB-C still is USB-A. 
Yeah. And, and when you buy the USB-C stuff, it's all, it doesn't work. You know, it's, a lot of it is, is junk. It's very flaky. Like that's, that's, that's to me was the biggest problem when I was using these full time that, that, that I ran into was a lot of my stuff just, it was unreliable. Like the, the dongle would be unreliable or it would work in a port on the laptop, but not on one of the ports in the LG UltraFine monitor or something like that. Like there was there were all these little these little exceptions. Of like, well, this USB device that like the keyboard dongle would work in this adapter, but not that adapter. And it was just so flaky, and it's it makes it really difficult. Even if you're willing to go all in on USB C, you're saying, okay, fine, I'll buy all new cables, I'll buy hubs, whatever I got, whatever I have to buy, sure, I'll go all in. But the ecosystem still makes it pretty difficult to do that reliably. And it's funny, I didn't have any, I haven't had any incidents with this machine that I've been using for a week, but uh, about 10 days ago, somewhere around there, after I was, I talked to Apple and they were like, hey, we'll send you a review unit. And I was waiting for it. And while I was using my other machine, I had a prototypical MagSafe thing where I was working with my personal 13 inch on a table I didn't usually wore. I forget where I was even. I wasn't even, I must not even have been at home. I was somewhere uh, working in a weird, unfamiliar spot. And I stood up and me personally, I can't blame anybody else, just totally kicked the power cord because I oop, forgot it was there and just bloop, little perfect MagSafe just came out. And I, but I, because it was on my mind that this machine was coming and I knew I'd be using it, I was like, wow, I'm glad that happened with this and not with that. <laughs> yeah. So that's another one that I'd, you know, to add to the list of things that they've changed that I, I see it. I, I understand it to some degree, but boy, we've lost it, It's two steps forward and at least one step back, if not two steps in one good direction and two entire steps in a bad direction. Do you miss the other things that have changed about the, um, the power being like n- no longer having the little wings and the power brick oh, and, I, I and not having the that. light on the, on the end of it? I miss both of those things tremendously. Yeah. Me um, too. Just because, especially when you travel, yeah. um, you, there's unfamiliar ports in the one. You never know when you're, you know, hotel, it's unusual. But, you know, when you travel to somebody's house, who knows which uh, adapters or plugs in the wall are hooked up to a light switch or not. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? It's, or, it, like, if you accidentally, if it, like, if, if you have, like, one of the, like, old, like, loose outlets and your bricks has slid out from it right, a little bit, you, right. you kind of don't know. Right. I, I'm addicted to the confirmation, you know, like, in the way that an iPhone, if you plug it into power and it is getting power, it'll, the screen will always come on and just show you a little green lightning, like, okay, I'm getting some juice. And then you can just walk away. When you have a clamshell closed MacBook and you plug it into power and you assume that when you come back from dinner or when you wake up in the morning, whatever, you know, whatever the period is that this will be nice and charged, you know, I want to know it. I want to see that green light. I, I miss yeah. that terribly. Cause it just, it makes the little sound, but only if it's not muted. Right. And also you might not be able to hear the sound depending on the right. environment. Right. And, and you also, there's no way, to, there's no way to glance at it from across the room and see is it charging or is it charged right like, yeah and and the wing, great distinction the wings on the adapter i complained about that in my review in 2016 and mm-hmm. it still stands because i i it was a great design and i use them all the time i mean yeah, there me might too. be people who don't know it because it is a weird little thing but if you have an older macbook power adapter and those two little plastic I can't think of anything better to call it than wings that pull out on the one side. They're meant for you to wrap the skinny part of the power adapter around. And they are absolutely amazing. They do the job better than anything I could imagine, other than if it could actually like retract. Yeah, that would be better. Right. But I, I can't see Apple doing that. <laughs> right, because they'd have to make it bigger. 
and also it's kind of like a crappy it's kind of like a low like a, a low class mechanism to right. have a little attractive, right. attractive thing but i actually would kind of like that but yeah the new ones like i, I feel like when i'm carrying them around I, I have this like mess of power cable in the bag no matter how nicely i try to wrap it up it's just like you know, it's nothing compared to having the old brick just where i could wrap it around the brick and have it hold there and have it you know yeah. all nice and compact and and you know organized all right let me take one last break here i've got a fourth bonus sponsor for this extra long special edition of the show, and it's our good friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is where you go to make your own website. And this has come up, maybe we'll talk about it after this uh, break briefly, um, but there's been people talking about uh, uh, just the way, like, centralized podcast hosting and, you know, what should you do, you know, should all podcasts, should there be like a YouTube for podcasts, that sort of thing. Uh I'll tell you what, if you care about your online presence and whether you're a company, whether you're just an individual, whether you've got a portfolio or something like that, of course you have to participate in certain social networks and some of them are centralized. But you should own your own personal website. Nothing can beat it for permanence and independence. Um, and you don't have to worry, like if uh, you know you had a big uh, MySpace presence or something like that, and all of a sudden MySpace goes away. Now you got nothing. Like nobody can take your website away. And if you need your own website, there is no easier, more reliable, uh, just all round excellent, low friction. Don't worry about it. Like if the whole point of ah, I'll just do everything on Facebook or whatever, is that you don't want to do all the work of creating your own website. Squarespace makes it so easy. It is as easy as configuring your profile on like a social network type thing to just create your entire custom own website with your own domain, everything you can do through Squarespace from registering a domain to picking the template, to adjusting the template, to deciding what style of, you know, what features you want. Do you need a store? Do you want to host a blog? Do you want to host a podcast? Uh, all of those things. You could do all of that on Squarespace. And you don't need any coding experience. You don't have to ever look at HTML. You don't have to look at CSS. You don't even have to know what JavaScript is. None of that. You get everything. You get analytics. You can find out who's coming to your website from where. And it's a really good analytics interface. Uh, most analytics interfaces are inscrutable. Squarespace, like almost everything they do, is obviously designed by talented designers who know information design. The analytics thing is worth it alone. It is so amazing. You would be shocked if you do view source on websites you go to every day, like restaurants, things like that. How many of the websites you use on a daily basis are hosted and built on the Squarespace platform? They're, they're everywhere. And with good reason, it's, it's truly amazing. Marco always says it when he talks about Squarespace on ATP. But the next time you think you need a website or someone you know needs a website and they come to you, try it at Squarespace first and just give it a half hour, give it an hour and see how far you can go. And you will think, my God, this is nuts that I ever did this any other way. They have amazing technical support, everything you can want. I can't think of anything else that you would want. So go to Squarespace the next time you need a website. And here's the deal. You get 30 days free of to to just use it with full featured. You don't have to pay them at anything. So when you do pay, just remember this. Remember the code talk show. If you want, you could even use the code ATP. Either way, you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. Um, and they'll know where it came from. One of these two great shows. Squarespace.com slash talk show is where you go. And that code, which you remember when you start paying, is talk show 
You could also use ATP if you're here for Marco and not for me. Either way, it's a great product. Again, anybody comes to me, whether they sponsor or not, privately and says, hey, I need a website. I'm just, I send them to Squarespace. I really do. So my thanks to them for their continuing support of this show and obviously many other fine podcasts. Uh, last but not least on this new thing, Apple gave me the, the uh, leather sleeve that goes with it. They, they've started, this is new to the MacBook Pros. They make, they've made leather uh, cases for iPhones for years. They've made leather sleeves for the uh, iPad for a year. Something like that. Yeah. And now starting uh, about two weeks ago when these new MacBook Pros come out, they have leather sleeves for them. It's 180. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even get to the price. <laughs> it's $180 for the 13-inch model <laughs> and $200 for the 15-inch model. <laughs> and it's just a sleeve. It is leather. It, they sent me the black one. It was nice. Um, I don't know what material it is inside, but some kind of like microfiber type thing, very soft. has a very subtle Apple logo on it. Uh, I don't. I, I, I do use a sleeve type thing with my 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, oh, I forget what brand it is, but it's sort of like a padded thing because I use a backpack that doesn't have a padded area for a laptop. Uh, but it is more than just a sleeve. It's padded. It has a zipper and it has a zipper compartment where I keep, uh, a bunch of uh, certain essential things that I want to have with me at all times. Uh, I, I, I personally have no interest in a sleeve of any sort, leather or not, that doesn't have like a compartment that I can do things in. Because if I really just, if I don't need anything else with me, I would just take the, the bare MacBook, you know, um, I showed it to my wife, Amy, who knows, has experience and, and more opinions on fine leather goods like handbags, uh, that sort of thing, wallets and things like that than I do. And I showed it to her and she knew what it was. And I just said, what, how much do you think this cost? And she felt it, took a you know a couple of seconds looking at it and just rubbed the leather. And she said, and I think this was her including what she perceived to be Apple's premium pricing. She said sixty dollars, <laughs> and I said it's two hundred. And she, she, we were in the kitchen, and she yelled no <laughs> so loud that our son Jonas, who's on summer vacation, he's upstairs in his bedroom's right above our kitchen. Uh, he thought, and he's used to it every once in a while that she'll discover that, you know, let's say he left, you know, like an empty bag of chips in the table or something, you know, did some kind of gross violation <laughs> of family protocol. She'll yell, Joe! Uh, or even if she yells, Jonas! You know, that first syllable is what he hears. So she yelled, no! And Jonas goes, I'm coming! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I would, I would, I would summarize her reaction to it as it being not worth $200. That seems like a fair summary. It is possible. I don't know. It is possible that the reason, you know, her thought is that this is not high quality leather. It is possible though, that she's comparing it against something like a, a nice handbag, which has Maybe this is treated for water resistance or something that makes it less supple and undesirable for something like that and more desirable for this. I don't know. But the person in our household who has stronger opinions on leather bags definitely was not impressed by the $200 price point. Yeah, I I was able to uh, feel one of these as well. Well, I've got mine here. 
Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if you were allowed to share your review unit with other people outside your family. Oh, yes, yeah. It's, there's no, there's no embargo on it. But yeah, but but suffice to say, I, I was able to experience one of these products. Did you type on this uh, keyboard yet? Um, ah, briefly, I think. You want to play with it? Yeah, let me see. <laughs> let me see. You're, that's just the end of the Apple Note with the show notes, so you can type whatever you want. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so I was able. Uh, this feels. It feels slightly like stickier than the old one. Like it feels like the keys. It feels like they're like a, they they don't pop back like as mm. readily as the other ones, but not by a huge margin. It's a small. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to really just use mine for a while to say really know. Yeah, but. The, the silicone layer definitely adds a sort of organic feel that's not there from a purely. Mecha- I don't know if I'm if these words quite make sense, but it. it Without the silicone layer where it's purely mechanical, everything involved is either metal or plastic, it's, there's a mechanicalness to the feel, and the, the silicone layer adds a, an organic feel to it that I find pleasing. But Yeah, I don't, I'll have to get, I'll take, take some time with it. But right. Yeah, so the leather thing, I, I think like the, if, you, if you're familiar with their leather cases for iPhones, they're no, it's nothing like that. If you're familiar with mm, the leather no. case they made for iPad that we mentioned earlier, it's really nothing like that either. Like that's what I was kind of expecting. Mm. The iPad case is, is it's a much thicker, more supple, more soft leather. The MacBook Pro leather case barely feels like leather. It feels more like a like a plastic composite kind of thing. It does because I think I, I'm sure you know if they say it's leather, I'm sure it is. But I, I'm sure I think too. the leather is it's probably a very very thin layer of leather because yeah. any think of any thicker le- uh, leather layer would probably be pretty bulky and heavy at that size. Yeah. But regardless, it the iPad one I think feels pretty good and provides the nice utility of having that pencil pocket for the Apple Pencil. Um, this does not offer any neither neither the good feel nor the additional utility of a yeah, pocket. Yeah, if you came to me with it without telling me it was leather and said, "Do you think this is leather or not?" I think I might even guess no. What's yeah. that material that Microsoft started using and they use in the inside of cars? Alcantara. Alcantara. Yeah, yeah, I might. I I would th- I would think like maybe what's that stuff that Microsoft? Use? I I would say the same thing, and you'd say Alcantara. I'm like, I bet this is Alcantara or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, or, it's not because it, it doesn't feel cloth like it feels like plasticky or, or rubber because it's just it feels like a very thin yeah. like fake leather basically yeah. because it just again whatever whatever the reasons were whether it was cost probably not it, it was probably like thickness and weight at that size it just doesn't feel good I, yeah. I would if you are a a laptop sleeve person which i've never been so i don't right. really know the market that well but but if you are i imagine the the reason you would get a laptop sleeve would be what you said which is like if you're putting it in a bag that does not have a padded compartment you want like some padding or you want like a dedicated thing so other stuff in in the same compartment doesn't scratch it up or something like that this can provide some of le- of that but pretty much no other value it doesn't provide right. it doesn't give you a nice feel it doesn't i, I didn't think it looked very good either and it i just I, I don't see why you'd want it, even even the Syracuse types who who want to fanatically maintain the exterior in as close to mint condition as they can, avoiding any and all fine quote unquote micro abrasions, etc. I think the fact that it doesn't zip shut would be unappealing to them. Like I can't see even yeah. if, if Syracuse, even if you know two hundred dollar, which I can't see him buying. <laughs> I cannot see John buying a two hundred dollar leather sleeve. Uh, but even if it was free, I don't think he would use it because I don't think it would satisfy his, I need to feel like I can throw this anywhere and it's never going to come into contact with anything, you know, because it, it's got an open end. Not to mention, if you're putting stuff in and out of it, it's going to get scratched from grit. 
Right. You know, and especially because right. there was the open end. And then, yeah. like, when the laptop is not in it, or even when it is. Like, and it's, it's a very snug fit, right? Yeah. So if any kind of grit got in there, it's it's not easy to get in. And I mean, not hard either, but it is sort of like, you know, you're, you're it's like, you know, like when you just put a check in an envelope, it, it just, you just, you know, it's nice and e- it's easy because an envelope is way bigger than the check. Um, but when you put a greeting card in the greeting card envelope, <laughs> It's, it's you gotta like shimmy it in. Yeah, you got to shimmy it in. That's exactly what it's like. This is like when I put my 13 inch MacBook in my padded case up there, it's like putting a check in an envelope. It just goes in and out. When I put this in the leather sleeve, it's like putting a birthday card into the envelope. And it is, it's like you've got this envelope that is exactly one sixteenth of an inch bigger <laughs> than the card. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that after this trip of you having this one here, I'm guessing I never see another one of these in the wild again. Oh, the sleeve? Yeah, yeah I can't imagine. Because I, I can't, I don't, none of, I, it just doesn't seem like anything that would appeal to our friends. Uh, or I mean, anybody. it might, well, I wonder. I don't, it just does not seem like an idea that has legs, you know. I think it, would, it requires different execution than what they've done here. Yeah. It requires, if you're going to have something that size and that high market, it's going to need to be better leather. It's going to need to feel better. It's going to need to be more supple. It's probably going to need like an, an exterior pocket or something, like just some additional utility in addition to nicer grade leather. And it also seems like almost mo- most people, uh, typical people, don't want to spend a lot on a case. And most people, you know, whole side thing we can go on about how 90, at least seemingly 98% of iPhone users use a case. Um, we live in dark times. But almost nobody, I see almost nobody in the real world with an Apple case. They're, it's almost all third party. And I guess part of that is, you know, the way that people express their individualism and you see all sorts of, you know, just thousands, literally thousands of different designs in the iPhone cases as, as you walk around, you know, like a mall or an airport and you see people or at Disney World and you see all these iPhones out taking cameras. You could go all day and never see the same case twice. Um, but I very seldom see people using Apple cases. But when we're together, like at WWDC and our group of friends are together, among the people who use a case on their phone, we also see a disproportionate number of people like me who don't use a case. But we also see, I also notice clearly a disproportionate number of people who use the Apple case. Yeah. And I think part of it, I think the biggest part is that we're, uh, us, me, you, we're, we're that sort of people like, you know, Casey List, I think, uses an Apple yep. leather case. Yep. Uh, willing to spend $59 on a case for the iPhone because we really, really like the way it feels. Yeah, the Apple leather case for the phone is really nice. I'm using one now because right. I, I, normally I'm caseless, but during the summertime, it like slides out of my shorts right. pockets. Right. But I'm sitting down, like, right. like every time I sit down, so I... I really like the Apple leather case. Right. It's, it, they've always been really nice. Yeah. And sweaty. It, the last few years of iPhone designs have been very, very poor for sweaty hands and humid weather. And yeah. I, I don't have one on right now, but I actually packed one in my bag for this trip out of thinking, like, if my phone starts feeling slippery, I'm going to put it in that case. And I like the way the leather feels. And I love the way that the buttons still feel like actual buttons and not like I'm pushing the outline of a button on a case that is pushing a button on the case. It feels like I'm still pushing a button. Yeah, like a couple of years ago when they, like they, I think it was the 6S generation where they switched the buttons on the case from just like dimples in the yeah. leather to actual like additional right. metal buttons that, and that it made a huge difference in how it right. feels. Uh, so I don't, but I don't see that happening. Like, so there, I think there's, you know, I think Apple does very, very, I, even though the majority of people with iPhone cases don't buy the Apple case, I still think Apple sells enough of the cases that it's a very, very successful little accessory business for them. I don't anticipate the leather sleeve being one. 
Because <laughs> I feel like some people want a sleeve and they want a lot of like want a pocket and they want to carry other stuff in it. Other people want a sleeve and they just want something cheap to protect the laptop. And I don't think anybody who really likes fine leather goods and is willing to spend a premium for it is going to like the feel of this case. I don't see who the market is. Yeah, I, and I think we've probably spent more time talking about it than anybody else ever will. <laughs> this is your go-to, your go-to podcast for discussion of Apple's $200 leather sleeve for the MacBook Pro. Do you think any of the Apple executives that are on like the leadership page on the site, so like the SVP level, the C level... Do you think any of them have talked about this for this long mm. with anybody? I wonder. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm guessing not. <laughs> I suspect the one who would have the strong, the two who would have the strongest opinion would be Angela Arntz because she certainly knows her her fine leather goods uh, after having been CEO of Burberry and and her experience in the, the clothing industry. And fashion, whatever, whatever you'd like to describe her pre pre Apple career as, and then maybe Schiller, just because Schiller cares about everything. Yeah. Um, but I can't see Schiller using one. I, I just, I, I, I just, I don't know. Well, and they would like an Apple person would never be seen using one of these cases. Like the same reason, like they always carry their iPhones without cases right. on there. Like you know, like that famous right. uh, that famous press Q and A, where like right. was it Steve, Phil, and Tim were up yeah. on stage, and, and I'm the one who asked the question. Oh, that yeah. was you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You didn't know that? I think I forgot. I think I yeah. knew it back so then. I, I forgot. For those who don't know, when when they held the special press conference in Town Hall for Antenna Gate, and uh, if you'll recall, it was actually the Apple's first first owned cases, like for the original. 3G and 3GS, Apple didn't make any cases. And when, oh, yeah. the, when the iPhone 4 came out, they still didn't make cases because I think Apple was still opposed to the idea of putting phones in cases, but they made the quote-unquote bumper, which was meant to be, as, as designed, meant to be protection so that you could put it face down and the, the glass wouldn't hit the surface of the table and it would offer some sort of shock per, per you know. But it was like a case that left the entire back exposed along with the front. Uh, it was a case designed by people who clearly hated cases. Yes. And, uh, and the flat sides of the, the sort of rectilinear nature of the iPhone 4 and 4S design made it very amenable to that sort of thing. Like, I'm not sure that a bumper would work with the last few generations of round edge. Nah. I don't think so. I think it needs to be flat. Yeah. But anyway, part of their solution to the publicity around antenna gate and the attenuation that some people who were holding their phones wrong experienced in low signal, low cell signal areas was, okay, we'll make the bumpers free. Everybody who buys an iPhone four can get a Apple bumper for free. And the bumper completely eliminated the problem because the whole problem was if your skin bridged a, a gap in the external steel antenna frame, that's what caused the problem because your skin would allow a signal to transfer from one part of the, one antenna piece to another that it shouldn't. And if you had the bumper on, then your skin couldn't touch that gap. And then they did a Q and A, and people, which I that think was unheard of. Oh, I I think it's the last. I still think it's the last time. It's the yeah. last time I was at a thing where at a press event where there was a Q and A, and I'd never been at one before. It was very happened many more years ago, maybe more often, but this was truly unusual. Um, and a couple of the initial questions from other people, other people in the media, seemed to be. I could sort of see a narrative emerging that wasn't, I didn't think was what Apple meant, but I could tell from the other questions that, that 
other members of the media were starting to form a narrative where Apple's answer to this antenna issue is that everybody they're going to give everybody a bumper and everybody should use it. Right, like a software patch almost. Like you should right. you should install this, you know. Right. Like to properly use this phone and yeah, maintain yeah. a cell signal, you're going to put this free bumper on. And so my question was and it was uh Schiller well to, to a guy named Steve Jobs. <laughs> uh, was it Tim? No, also? I don't no. think it was Tim. Jaws, maybe? Nope. I think it might have been... It, Bob Mansfield was up there. Oh, okay. So, I think it was only three of them total, so that must be it. I think... It, I don't think Tim Cook was up there. So it would have been 2010. It would have been July of 2010. And I think... It, I know Schiller and Jobs and big Bob Mansfield were up there. And I don't think Tim Cook was. I think it was just the three. Four would be too many. Yeah. Um, and I my, and I raised my hand. I think it was Jobs who called on me, but he just pointed... Uh, and and I said, um, I think there's video of it, but I think I just yeah, asked, um, does everybody need to, or I just said, I, I don't know, I formulated it very well. I'm usually very poor. I'm doing a very poor job of regrading <laughs> the question right now. But I think I just asked, do you guys use a bumper or do you just carry it without one and have no problem? And instead of answering the question, all three had this, they, without even saying anything, it was perfect. It was like the perfect PR move. Right. <laughs> they all three reached into their right jeans pocket and pulled out a naked iPhone 4. <laughs> and the crowd laughed. Uh, and I was like, oh, that worked out really well. I'm really glad I got my question asked. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I think it, it does seem like the, the official position that Apple tries to express, like in their executives' public right. appearances, right. is that you don't need a case for their phones. Right. Uh, and it, you don't need a leather sleeve for your MacBook Pro. Uh, well, we've been going on long enough. Uh, I, this is short for us. Yeah, it is short for us. Um, I was going to go on a whole thing about this whole podcast hosting thing, but I don't know that we need to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You might have opinions. Do you have any opinions on podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, how's it going with the uh, the the watch version of uh, or Overcast now that that you can actually play audio in the background? Can you talk about oh, that? Man. Yeah, I mean it's it's in development still, but it's the, the development version is pretty much done. I, I hope to be in beta pretty soon. And uh, yeah, when this fall, when WatchOS five and iOS twelve come out this fall. Uh, Overcast has full standalone watch playback, and it's great. It's it's finally doable. Apple like the OS finally gives app developers what we needed to make that compelling at all, like, to make it even barely functional at all. And yeah. it's it turns out it turned out really great. I, I use it all the time now, uh, and uh, it's I can't wait to ship it. Yeah, and it's an interesting combination of a couple of finalies where I mean, and I've been doing this for years in my. Uh, sporadic jogging habit of somehow trying to get by with the least amount of kit while I can still either listen to music or podcasts. And I did the thing for a while where I had the, um, the little square iPod nano on a, a, what was it called? The TikTok wristband? Oh yeah, that like Kickstarter yeah, wrist strap it was, for it. It was like one of the first Kickstarter sensation projects. It was a, a, like a, a watch band for the square iPod nano that in hindsight was humongous as a watch, but allowed you, it was an, but as Tim Cook famously said before the watch, the wrist is an interesting place and it's an interesting place. It was always an interesting place to put a little thing like that for the reason that it, it for over a century now has been an interesting place to put a carry on timepiece. Um, and the biggest problem with it wasn't the wristband. It was a fine wristband. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, looking at it, which was great. It was a great place to put it because you could see it. Like when you clipped it on your shirt, you couldn't really see it. Uh, 
the problem was for audio, having a cable go from your wrist to your ears was often oh, awful. Yeah, because that was before Bluetooth was really. Oh, well, yeah. Thing. It was definitely before Bluetooth. And you'd have this, you know, and it always sort of felt like you had an IV hooked up to you, you know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it's just like in a way that it just never feels good to be tethered to an IV when you're in the hospital or, you know, drawing blood or whatever, you know, is going on. It just never felt good to have a cable connected to my wrist and my head, uh, you know. But I feel like we're finally at the point where we will finally be this fall when watchOS comes out with this support where the combination of AirPods and Apple Watch with audio support, good audio support, will actually give us a thing that we've, I've been looking for for, you know, 15 years. Yeah, it's, they finally give it to us. Yeah. And I've, again, I have been using it. I've been testing with it, doing lots of dog walks with just my watch and everything. And it's great. And I think, you know, I ultimately, I don't think people are going to use it that much compared to using their phone because your phone is still better if you have it with you. But if you don't have it with you or if you don't want to have it with you, this now gives you the option. Yeah, it, it really exemplifies, uh, to me, an unusual pattern for Apple. Like in the old days, Microsoft was famous for this 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 pattern of doing an absolutely dreadful 1.0 that even, <laughs> even, even at a point where they were a successful company, like, or maybe the most successful company in all of technology, whatever they came out with as a 1.0 would be terrible. And even the might of marketing might of Microsoft couldn't make it. It was both, both bad technically and a failure in the market. But then rather than abandon it, keep their nose to the grindstone and do a 2.0 that still wasn't any good, but was clearly better <laughs> right? and still not give up on it and spend another 18 months at it and come out with a 3.0. And it is best exemplified by windows, right? Nobody even most, yeah. oh, there are very few people of any age who remember any version of windows prior to windows 3.1 really. But that 3.0 look, when you show people screenshots of like windows two and especially windows one, I never saw windows two or one. Never. Neither did just, I. I, I my a, first computer had 3.1 on it. I was a nerd and I had friends who had PCs, you know, and, and I, I, you know, they never, I don't even know that we knew Windows existed. They just never left, they never used anything but DOS. But, you know, Windows is the, but there are all sorts of Microsoft products like that. And I don't know that the watch was quite that bad, but it's a similar, it, my, Apple's better known for coming out with like a sensation, you know, like the way that, oh, there were so many problems with the original iPhone and it, edge networking and it didn't even shoot video and the still photos were terrible and it was really kind of over you know underpowered cpu wise didn't have gps either didn't have gps it was missing all sorts of ridiculous things it didn't even have an app store blah 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 but it was still it was just a sensation it was absolutely and you know and in hindsight sensation it's like they only sold like 11 million in the first year or something like that but it was way more millions than they promised to sell uh, but it was just a great product. Apple's known for stuff like that. The watch is almost evolving more in like a Microsoft like fashion where the one, the first <laughs> yeah. one was really like really rough, really rough. And you really didn't see a lot of them out in the field, even among our friends, you know, uh, or our crowd even. Uh, and here we are, you know, what, f four years later, three, four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it is a really compelling product. And I see them all over the place, you know, here in uh, the, the beach town. They're everybody, they're all over the place. Yeah, a lot. I see them everywhere now. Right. And it, it just really seems, even all rumors of, you know, a, a design refresh possibly coming at later this year that'll make it thinner or whatever. Um, but finally, sort of like a new look after four, three, three generations of sort of the identical industrial design, actually even getting thicker, actually yeah. year over year. Um, 
but just the software side of it is it really seems like there's a couple of finalies in there that it's really becoming a compelling product. And finally, really, the, for the first time, really becoming interesting for third-party apps. Yeah, that's, you know, the 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 hardware has been fairly decent on the watch uh, since since launch, with the exception of the first one just being super yeah. slow. But but the software, it was really, like, prohibitively limited for third-party apps especially uh, until, really until watchOS 3 and 4 at least. And watchOS 5 makes a number of, um, seemingly small changes, but changes that make or break certain uses like audio. Yeah. So anyway, that's good to hear. Uh, it was actually a loaded question because I've <laughs> I've played with the beta running on Marco's watch. <laughs> so, so they're a little behind the scenes insight for you. I actually totally cheated and knew the answer to that question before I asked. <laughs> yeah, I also knew that away suitcases have uh, washable laundry bags, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there are numerous advantages to recording a podcast in the same room as opposed to <laughs> two or 300 miles apart. Marco, thank you so much. You, you, I, I can thank you for tons of things this week, but uh, taking the time out to do this is truly, truly tremendous. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, it's always a joy. All right. My thanks to our sponsors. Uh, we had Squarespace, where you can go to build a website. We had a way where you can buy excellent luggage. Uh, we had Trace Pontas, who made the coffee that I finished over an hour ago and wished I had remembered to bring the pot in here. <laughs> I have three more pounds in the kitchen, so I think we're all right for at least a day. So that I could go have more. And last but not least, uh, Mac Weldon, makers of excellent daily essentials, things like underwear, T-shirts, socks, very stylish, long-lasting, and so easy to buy. My thanks to all of them. And, of course, uh, to Marco Arment uh, for his time. Thanks. All right, there we go. That was good. Yeah. Short for us. Yeah, it really, <laughs> that's kind of funny that it really was. <laughs>